こんにちはホストのハーリー・クリス・ロビンとジャズボーイ・フッキコンによるアナザー・ミュージック・ポッドキャストの別のエピソードへようこそ私の名前はキミコですアナザー・ミュージック・ポッドキャストのこの特別な日本語バージョンに参加します Hello and welcome to another episode of another music podcast with me your host Harry Chris Robin and as always my boy ジャズボーイ・フッキコン Uh, this is the Japanese version of this episode of the podcast because we're talk- we've got fury in this one.、Um, we're going to talk about、uh, Muse's Absolution album, their third effort, third triumph, or is that spoiler alert? It's a triumph. <laughs>、um, before we dive into things, as always, we're just going to plug ourselves. You can find me, Harry Chris Robin, on mainly YouTube. Instagram exists, but you know, YouTube is where the long form content exists because, you know, for people who've got long attention spans, head over there.、Uh, uh, things I've worked on recently was、uh, a cover of Time is Running Out and Hysteria. With the guitar tracks removed,、um, uh, what would have come out last week, hopefully, by now,、um, is my cover of the same kind of type of taking the guitars out、uh, of Plug in Baby. Fingers crossed that's any good. And what's coming up for me is I've completely forgotten、uh, Psycho and Sunburn doing the same thing.、Uh, I think my cover of Sunburn、uh, is actually sounding really, really good. I'm really happy with it. It's a kind of a mashup of a bunch of kind of different live versions that Muse done, have done and that I've kind of put together in my head. But I mentioned Psycho. Now, Matt, you've got a cover of Psycho coming up. Let's talk about your channels and where people can find you and things that you've got coming up. Yeah, boy. So I'm on Jazz. I- I'm on. No, I- I'm on YouTube and Instagram. You're on.、Um, <laughs> as a Jazz Boy Fuck Icon TM. There's a trademark at the end.、Um, and once again, I have not actually uploaded anything because it's been a very, very busy schedule. But as Harry said, I'm working、um, on a guitarless. Version of Psycho, if that makes sense. As in, I've taken the guitars out of the original track, and all you hear is my guitars, very much how, like how Harry has、uh, done his ones recently. And、um, it's, it's like we've got the same idea. <laughs> how original we are. It's crazy, isn't it? It's almost like we talk to each other outside of these podcasts.、Um, <laughs> you're on about, you're, what you're on about, after, we've, after the podcast finishes, the void comes. Yeah, yeah. Then, then, then we, we just then sit we in the dark for two weeks. Yeah, we don't exist unless you listen to us, so please listen to us.、Um, <laughs> Schrodinger's podcast. Yeah, that's what we are. We both exist and don't exist at the same time. But only if you're listening to Wait, no, how does this work? So,、uh, Schrodinger's. It's, 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 it's observed. So if you're listening to it, we exist. If you don't listen to us, we don't exist. Oh, there you go. Exactly. So, yeah, please don't let us enter the void again. I don't like it in there.、Um, put, the vi- put the podcast on a loop. Yeah, exactly. Please. Give us all the views.、Um, whoever gets,、um, is the first to listen to one episode a thousand times will send you a pic.、Um, <laughs> But yeah, anyway, back to. Jimmy, a guitar pick or an, or an image?、Uh, I'll let that be. Whoever, whoever gets to a thousand views can decide. I think they can,、uh, ah, they can choose for themselves. A, a,、um, a pick of a pick. Uh, yeah, it's th- three dimensional, four dimensional or whatever.、Um, yeah, so I'm working on a cover of Psycho, <laughs> and、uh, I believe me and Harry are going to try and release it about the same time so you can all judge us together and be like, I think this one's better. I like this one more. I don't know why I talk, to,、oh, they, talk like the audience is all like that, but some of them are. 
Uh, maybe maybe some people go, oh, this is trash because you're not using the, this specific plugin. So in today's podcast, we're going to talk about the entire album of Absolution, track by track. So Absolution comes at a time after Muse have been dropped from their American label. Boo. After is it what was it due to woeful performance of Origin of Symmetry? Was it just not? not hitting the American market that well? I think, if I remember correctly, it was Mushroom Records. I might be wrong in terms of the name of the, the left record label, um, but basically they refused to release Origin of Symmetry out in America because they said, we don't like the full set, oh, can you get rid of it? And Matt Bellamy was like, no, which is probably the best thing he ever did. Um, and because of that, Origin of Symmetry never really got released in the US, so Absolution is actually the second album if you're from the US. Yeah, or if you're a normal human being with you know, Eyes is their third effort. Mm, mm. Yes, don't get confused. This is their third album. Um, we're this doing... is their third album. Amer- <laughs> uh, yeah, America uh, don't decide how logic works. Uh, uh, on... Yes. And that, that statement works on like so many... <laughs> as much as they would like to, that statement works on so many levels. Yeah, yeah I, I was always aware that they, ha- that they would drop from the, from the label. I wasn't really kind of aware as to the exact reasons. I know that it was due to like things around Origin of Symmetry. Mm. I think I may have known, but then subsequently forgot it was the whole falsetto thing. Yeah, I think it was purely microcuts that they had a problem with. I think it was just that. Why, though? To me, that just doesn't make sense. But then that's obviously because I'm a, I'm a Muse fan, but also really, with the benefit of hindsight. It's just like, well, it's just a stupid take. I mean, there's been loads of other bands that have been successful in America where they've had higher pitch vocals from men mm. i think it's because that's the, how i'm um, looking at it yeah i think it's it's purely corporate and a corporate person at that time would be like oh what's big at the moment limp biscuit corn that kind of stuff in the u.s um what's what's really risky hmm like a counter tenor choir boy singing over like weird kind of metal that's really risky could we just make it a bit more aggressive male vocals maybe and then we could sell it that's a hundred percent that's what happened it was like a purely corporate kind of issue that's so dumb well, yeah, like i'm glad say. that yeah well i'm i'm glad that that, that things ended and went the way they did maybe it was a good thing maybe the, the slow burn of breaking america was good i think so yeah. We can come to yeah, that later, innit, with uh, some of the touring aspects and stuff. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah, the touring aspect of, 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 of Absolution. That's very interesting mm. to, to talk about. Anyway, so deep dive. Let's talk about before um, the build-up to Absolution. So after Origin of Symmetry, but before Absolu- um, Absolution, we had the Dead Star In Your World EP that released that had those two songs, but then also Can't Take My Eyes, my eyes Off You. Um, Dead Star, uh, from Matt in interviews, or at least on MuseWiki, claims that Dead Star is a response to 9-11. I've never understood that connection at all. Um, Matt, I- explain. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what my thoughts were regarding that. Um... It's like the, reper- well, the repercussions of 9-11 oh, yeah. I think if you kind of look at the lyrical content I, d- I can't really see it because it sounds way much more like a like a relationship oh thing. that to me it makes perfect sense if you just swap out the metaphor the the girlfriend or that character in the narrative and use it as a metaphor to describe America like yeah um it works but it works better for in your world for me oh yeah definitely yeah what is it but i think i don't know i think it's a classic example of where matt bellamy said one thing and it's kind of like 
oh, that might have influenced him, but actually the song's about something completely different, like Plug-In Baby, where he was like, oh, this is actually about if you could genetically modify dogs so that they'd never get older, when in actuality, Plug-In Baby just kind of came from, oh, sex shop or whatever. Like, or what was it? Um, either a sex shop or the catalogue or something, and it was like a plug-in doll. Yeah, yeah, the name came from an Argos catalogue or something like that. Yeah, yeah, so it's probably one of those That's ones what... where it doesn't really influence the actual song but i think that in itself the post 9-11 aspect of absolution is quite interesting Apocalypse, please. to the harder core harder core oh. mid to hardcore muse fan will know that the like the, the kind of the deeper drums for apocalypse please were kind of record not kind of were recorded using a swimming pool for you know, the big the big rich ambiences there's loads of delicious pics of dom howard topless <gasps> in a swimming pool it's my favourite, yeah. Um, I love going down the news bootlegs and <laughs> seeing all the topless photos of Dom. Yeah, um, it it now it's loop. Uh, you know, bringing that in with the intro where it's just twenty two seconds of what sounds like the Germans approaching. Yeah, I've never quite got that. Sorry, one second. I'm just going to move this cable because it's bothering me. Um, I've never quite got that. Um, that intro, so to speak, I'm trying to. I've always tried to figure out what is it trying to symbolise. Is it is it like a workforce? Is it like um, a marching army or what? Yeah, it's definitely a military thing. It sounds like it because it's because it's it. The, all the you know the boot marching is in time. It's got that. It's got that voice over the top of it in German. Um, oh, is it in German? I've, I've never won. I always wondered if it was just like hard to hear or if it was genuinely another language, like. Oh, it sounds German. The accent on it sounds German. The intro for me, um, with uh, because it's not like a straight marching rhythm, it's a whole bam, 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 bam kind of thing. Yeah. Um, the image that cut, gets conjured up in my head is some sort of ritualistic carving of stone to some like ancient deity or something, which is probably nothing to do with the album, but that's always what kind of came to my mind. And obviously the idea of Apocalypse Please being like a preacher saying like, oh, I want the apocalypse to happen because it will kind of, cu- it will justify my belief in this system. Of course you would think that. <laughs> that's that's the only thing you would think of. Yeah. I mean, to me, to me, Apocalypse Please sounds more like a, like a, a, a war type thing rather than some sort of like religious type apocalypse you know because you know the lyrics you know say you know it was like emergency Mm. um and that sort of thing where it just kind of it feels a lot more modern it feels a lot more kind of war orientated and i love that kind of vibe for it. it kind of really sets the tone for the whole album at the beginning which kind of makes me have the view of this is potentially their best album opener across their entire discography because it is so strong linking it in with in with intro which is those 22 seconds of that of that stomping essentially is a good primer where intro isn't really the opening song apocalypse please is the opener but like the primer is the is the is intro the boot marching Mm. and it's such a great scene setter for the entire album and yes the album isn't just about the themes that are appearing in apocalypse please but it's it's like the perfect um way to open that album because of the time it was released in 2003 because of the thing that they're trying to be doing with that it's absolutely phenomenal and i think looping into the head of the conversation we're going to have about in later when we just talk about the tour i think that was the best song to probably have opened their sets with i know that they opened them with hysteria 
some um sometimes, yeah. but that like the Earl's Court gig opened with Apocalypse Please and it was like that is genius. It's kind of funny because I wonder if um with the whole rhythm aspect of the intro into Apocalypse Please, that might have also helped Matt Bellamy come up with Starlight, because I know he spoke a lot about the clapping aspect of Starlight and how that's something he's not done before. I know that's a different album, but just thinking about what it what it would have done and how it would have influenced further things. Um I think you can't yeah as much as I might not think it's my favourite intro to an album, I think objectively it is their best intro to an album. I think there's a lot of things on this album where I am going to have to concede that objectively it may be some of their best work. Um, I think that's that, very big of you. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, I'm an adult now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the sound. I've grown up. I've grown up, mum. I think the sound of the piano is uh, really interesting because it's. It's aggressive as fuck, man. Um, mm. And it really, and the whole mix and everything with the, like those kind of like vocals and stuff, they're setting up some of the string parts that come into Butterflies and Hurricanes later. Um, yeah. But it's all this kind of chaotic, but it's, it, it's chaotic, but it's got this weird flow to it, even though it's, because it kind of has the stilted, kind of sections but then it still flows all the way through into the like a, a decent ending if you know what i mean mm, I, I i just i love the the sonic composition of it you got those relentless drums that kind of go on throughout the whole that have that kind of pacing throughout the whole bit especially during the verses but during that you've got those vocals from from Matt, as, as you've just articulated within that kind of aggression you've got that softer part that's kind of weaving its way through mm. which it is a great way to kind of maybe combine several themes of like aggression, but then kind of the softer side of war, maybe mm-hmm. um, that can just kind of permeate through that. And it's, it's a great communicator because it's, it's, it's kind of classic music at this point that they kind of really um, uh, weaved quite well with origin, but then doubling down with that for or- um, for absolution in that they can have kind of different vibes within one song or at any given moment, mm. like two or three things that, that really kind of come through because Matt uses his voice much more like an instrument than a voice, which kind of had seen things start from way back in, in showbiz, like for the kind of the solo-y bit in Muscle Museum at the end, where mm. what the story, the, the myth is that it was supposed to be a guitar solo, but he missed and then just started singing the guitar solo. Mm. It's, it's that sort of thing where he's starting to use his voice more like a, a theremin. Yeah. He's getting more creative in general. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and then as you said, kind of uh, taking the clapping aspect of turning that into starlight, uh, kind of projecting forwards with that things that are going on. Uh, related to that, we see aspects from uh, the, the outro uh, from Citizen Erased during the tour, which turned into the the, the sequence for Take a Bow. Mm. Um, it, we always kind of have this through line of albums, especially from that kind of period from for Muse, is that the album might sound like the album, but there's going to be elements that then project ahead to the following album that we, or maybe even Matt and the rest of them, don't even know at that point. And I love that because, like, Apocalypse Please is a great song to describe the album, but then also kind of it's looking ahead just over the horizon of what what's Black Hole's going to do mm. in just little bits, and that's I I love that. Going back to what you said earlier in terms of what is objectively their best opener versus what I like as my opener is 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 a, a very interesting point to hold as well where we both might say objectively this song is this but i like this i can see the arguments for say newborn is their best intro 
or uh, or, or even Take a Bow might be their best one. I can see Supremacy, as much as Second Law isn't their best album at all, I can see that Supremacy may be up there for best album openers. Really? I think it's one of their weakest. Really? That's interesting. I find that... Anyway, we're getting off course talking about album intros. It sets the stage perfectly. Apocalypse Please does. In terms of the instrumentation, any kind of things that... that that I really haven't have anything to contribute to is that in terms of the recording process, you can tell that everything was layered to buck. Like, so many drums and so many, like, stomps mm. for that. It still sounds like there's kind of one main vocal in there, not so, not so much overdubs for that, but maybe a lot of backing vocals in there. Obviously, there's a lot of backing vocals in there, but um, it's quite deceiving in terms of how it was recorded in that sense because you could just go, oh, that's just a big reverb, but it actually is, like, multiple things, like, stacked on top of each other. Mm. But in that, unfortunately, the song doesn't stand out to me as a kind of like oh this sonically this is really interesting production wise i think maybe that's a that's a testament to it because it's so brilliantly done it goes under the radar because it sounds huge no matter what you do i mean i was playing it earlier um before we before we were recording and i was like oh this has got so much to offer and it's like you don't notice until you're like right in the middle of it yeah i mean mean, yeah i think so i mean well i I was i listened to the album again yesterday probably for the first time i don't know maybe in about a year or so that i've actually listened to the full album and like really listened to it and not just had it on as like a background thing and so it was quite nice to kind of because i kind of forgot certain things like the deep impact pedal that sir chris walsenholm's using on the um some of the bass parts um that whole it's really like quite forward thinking of muse to do the whole swishy synthesizer section like that's quite uh like later muse almost um i think it's i think apocalypse please almost actually stands as like a more sophisticated but somehow darker version of space dementia as well because they don't take as long to get to between the two sections because you've got the aggressive bong dong bong section similar to how space dimension has got the section and then uh, this is going to be great for people to like clip and stuff um please someone make a remix of like the whole song with just my noises um but then you've got the more ethereal sections um in apocalypse plays similar to the um Space dimension It's kind of similar ideas, but Apocalypse Please executes them a bit quicker and more succinctly. Um, I think there's probably going to be a couple of things that I do like that on on this album in terms of what, where you're just going to sing. Yeah, the well, I'm just going to sing the whole album. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the one person barbershop uh, single tet. Yeah, I'll like start a note and then be like. Ha, ha, I'll be like, yeah, that's harmonies at the same time. <laughs> you mentioned um, Take a Bow earlier. I thought it was funny yes. um, because I think almost the synthy sections in Apocalypse Please are very reminiscent of the arpeggio patterns that you find in Take a Bow. And I think, like you said, they were starting to play Take a Bow on this tour. It's probably mm. very closely related to Apocalypse, please. Technically, wouldn't it be premonescent? Yeah, well, I guess, yes. Yes, very soon. Pre- pre- very, very <laughs> soon. Very soon, apparently. But it is such an interesting period. I mean, we've only broken one song already talking about the tour. But I'm sure we'll mention it later, but so, it's so interesting to see <laughs> so many aspects of the music from this, from this era that was very premonescent of what was to come. Mm. And seemingly very effortlessly... And I absolutely loved that. It was very 
very ahead of its time in their career, really projecting ahead, but kind of absolutely not compromising on the sorts of contributions they were making at this time. With that in mind, saying the word time. Time's running out. Oh, yeah, boys. Thank you, Kimiko. It's been very helpful.、Um, she's Kimiko <laughs> from now on, I think. <laughs>、um, so, time is running out.、Uh, I think、um, this is probably. I'm just double checking in my head. You could argue that Plug in Baby. Was their first like rock banger, but I think Time is Running Out is their most conventional rock banger and their first, if you see what I mean.、Um, Plug in Baby has slightly weird sections, slightly weird riff. Time is Running Out is a very much straight kind of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus kind of thing, which isn't a bad thing at all. I'm just saying I think it's their、yeah. first foray into, oh, we can still do rock music, but we could make it quite big. With certain songs, if you know what I mean.、Um, but I think that's quite something to, to kind of take note of with Time is Running Out.、Um, first off, the first thing you hear in the song, and、um, the kind of most im- impressive part from a musician perspective is that bass line and the bass tone. Well, I've got something to say about that, but yeah, but carry on. Okay, yeah.、Um, I've just written down on my little cue sheet, like, what is that bass tone? Hmm. And, um. Qu'est-ce que c'est, bass tone? Qu'est-ce que c'est? And,、uh, I believe,、um, it's the Deep Impact. I th- believe it's on setting three, if I remember the Deep Impact settings correctly. Because I used to have, well, I didn't used to have one. My bassist at one point used to have one. Um, it was very cool, actually, when he got hold of one.、Um, but anyway, that's a side story.、Uh, so I think it's on setting three, but I, I've also got a funny feeling it's a Roland JP800 or like JP8000 that's playing that part as well. What? Synth. Yeah. And I don't know whether yeah, they did the it when they double tracked it or not. But yeah, go on. Yeah, that's the thing I was going to say. It's, it is both. It's a synth and the bass playing it because that's certainly what happened live in the era.、Mm. Was, there was a backing track of the bass playing that. And then Chris would play with it as well. So you've got the synth doing it, and then like the actual bass frequencies from the bass kind of bu- bu-、uh, building that up as well. Very early on in the tour, when you like say, when you watch that BBC、um, live show where it's Time is Running Out, Stockholm, and Hysteria,、mm. not in that order, but that, you, it's, it's just Chris on a, on a keyboard playing、oh, that, that part. That makes me so uncomfortable every time I see him do that. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, but it's like, it, like that early on, it kind of really shows that, yeah, it was very much, there was a synth element to that. Because if, if it was just bass and a bunch of pedals, it would be that live. I like that though, that kind of versatility to go from playing a bass and then just go, oh, I'm just going to twiddle a bit on a synth. Clearly, I'm just very easily entertained. But, oh,、um, yeah. I, I liked that. Yeah, and I think it's, it's, it is.、Um, I think we miss some of that nowadays with Muse because I think they're so well. Like rehearsed and refined, that they've kind of they're in their thing of bass, guitar, drums, bit of piano.、Um, and Morgan, or sorry, Dan, is it Dan who does all does, is Dan Lancaster? Is that who's doing it now? Yeah, yeah, yeah.、Yes. Um, so Morgan or Dan would do all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I do, I do as much as it makes me just feel a bit uncomfortable just because I'm like, oh my god, he's playing keyboard. What the fuck?、Um, I do like that because he does that on Time is Running Out. He used to play the blackout strings live as well, I think.、Yeah. Uh, we'll come back to that on later. A, on, a, on, a, on a keyboard, yeah. Yeah, and、um, I'm pretty sure I've seen him just slamming down the top notes of、um, like a string patch or something、um, in between the piano and the riff of Newborn. Newborn, yep. Yeah, yeah he did so that. Was, I kind of like that, and I, I kind of want more bands to have random、It、synthesizers and stuff on stage. 
it made it seem more real. Yeah. Like it was actually live music. It wasn't just heavily <laughs> relying on a backing track. Mm. But, but there's there's always going to be the argument of like, oh, backing tracks are really boring. It's like, But then, you know, at the end of the day, I am okay with backing tracks as long as it's kind of, it's playing stuff that's not absolutely frontline center critical to the song. If it's playing some additional vocals, i.e. like when you go into Hysteria, it's playing back, it's playing some overdub vocals for the chorus or whatever, mm. or it's doing some minor synth stuff. As long as the backing tracks aren't doing drums, yeah. uh, actual vocals, actual guitar or actual bass that's actually supposed to be played in front of you, I'm absolutely fine with it. I'm a bit cynical of backing tracks because there was a band I was in where they desperately wanted to be like really synth pop and I was like, that just means more stuff for backing tracks and there's less stuff for us to pl- be playing live. Mm, mm. Like it was like, what am I doing as a as a guitarist if you're just going to put it press play essentially with it? It's like it really irritated me. So I like backing tracks are good, but as long as they use m- minimally, not to the point where there's no point having them, but to the point where it's not to, supposed to be that main thing in there. So if it is Chris playing an actual keyboard for that bass line, or if it is that bass line is a backing track, but he's playing bass on top of it live as well. It's fine because it's part of the actual atmosphere, not we've got some MIDI to do our performance. Yeah. If you see what I mean. Yeah, definitely. It's, yeah, it's nice. And I think... Um, that was a big rant from me. I'm very sorry. No, no, but I, I get what you're saying because even bands like um, Disclosure, for example, that are completely like dance music based... If you watch them play, they're playing like half the stuff that you hear. Um, so I think you can absolutely find a good medium between some absolutely. backing stuff and some like jumping across instruments and stuff. And also that's part of the fun, like it's part of the fun of being in a live band or whatever. Um, <laughs> the novelty of playing your instrument live. Yeah, exactly. It's like you can, you can fake it if you want, but it's only, it's only yourself really that you're letting down. Um, that's a bit philosophical there, really. Um, <laughs> um, so we spoke about um, the synth on Time Is Running Out. There's, I remember watching the uh, the making of Absolution. Maybe it wasn't on the making of Absolution. It was on something else. But I do remember Matt Bellamy talking about extensive work with a flanger for this song, and I was like, "No fucking flanger on that, mate!" Like, I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. Like. And uh, but I think you brought it up um, earlier. I think before we started recording, before we started recording, yeah, yeah just about the idea that actually there's there were multiple versions of Time Is Running Out, which I find quite interesting. I can't think of many, if any, songs I've ever written where there's like loads of different or like more than one alteration to versions, kind of thing. But evidently, in the making of you can see that they've got a version that really heavily features the whole stuff going on because yeah. they loop that for fucking hours by the looks of things in um, <laughs> in the recording. And I'm just like, wow, that's dedication, man. Um, but it's interesting that they were starting to explore with certain things and also not... What's, what's clever, I think, is that they've obviously, they obviously spent hours fucking around with a flanger for some reason. Um and it's not on the track, which means they're quite happy to kind of go, mm, I know we spent hours on this, but fuck this, the song needs this, or whatever. So I think they're still in the part where they're making really good decisions about their songs. Um, yes. Yeah, I think, well, I, I think I've said it before, but we, we, we spoke about just music in general or something like that on a, on a previous podcast, but you've got to serve the song. Like, the song is clearly demanding we're going in this direction. Um, 
and to kind of be aware of that or kind of you'd be like yeah I, we've spent hours on this or i've put a lot of effort into this but you know i'm 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 a big man i can drop that because it's going to sound crap otherwise mm, exactly yeah um, and i think i think the angle that they took it was the right one to take um because I just because of how successful that time time is running out as a song has been for them in their career, literally since the second it dropped to to now, it's still a fan favorite. It mm. gets people going live. It's got a lot of dynamic range to it. Um, there's so many brilliant elements to it. It builds really well, um, and the, the video is great as well. Yeah, I really like the video. <laughs> I think um, it's clever when you actually watch the making of it and realize, oh, they're fucking around with like double time and half time recording to get like yeah. that weird dance effect and everything. Yeah. That kind of like slow motion, but it's actually still in time with the song. I just love the table that they were using for it because it was just straight out of Dr. Strangelove. Oh, I never knew that. I knew the table looked familiar. I never connected the two. It's, oh, it's so good. I oh, just love brilliant. that aspect. Yeah. Right? I do it's like when Muse so like really reference that they're quite into films. They've done that a lot more recently, but it was a bit more subtle back in the day. Well, you say Muse, it was probably just the director, and that entirely like, possible. Yeah, yeah, fine. But I th- but I think that's probably just more about you know they they are you know teaming up with other brilliant creative people. Mm. Um, lo- I love a movie reference. Yeah, really, me. Bit it's great. Fun. Um, only other thing I've got to really say about time is running out is apparently. Um, it's about the recording aspect again. Yeah. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> I'm just recovering from a cold. Um, apparently... When we could pl- plug some uh, cold and flu medicines if they want to give yes, us Yes, I've been taking... What are these? Um, I can't remember. <laughs> Halls. Been- <laughs> lockets. They've been great. Um, <laughs> I've been taking one of these. Yes, Matt, this is an audio-based medium. <laughs> yeah, I kind of forgot that, yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, you, yeah. before I rudely interrupted, uh, yeah, I think I heard Matt Bellamy say that um, he recorded the guitar parts completely, like separately. So if he was playing a power chord, he'd record one take where he plays the root notes, and then another take where he records the, the, the fifth of each of those root notes. And I think you can almost trick yourself into hearing it in the second verse. When his guitar part comes in on the it almost sounds like they have panned the the parts in a very weird way to get that full effect. Now, I don't know if you can actually hear it, but I'm pretty sure they did record that um, in that way. Well, I can't hear it on the choruses, but I could hear it for that verse. Yeah, that's what I mean. Sorry, yeah, that's what I mean. Some, probably just sounds like just that verse because there's something in, weird about it. It's got a lot more body to it. It's got a lot, a lot more room and air. It sounds like it. you're in the I, guitar part. Yeah, it sounds. Yeah, it does sound a lot bigger than it just coming from one. I I actually personally didn't know that. Um, th- so that's an interesting thought, actually. Like, if it's just isolated that one section, and also then subsequently the outro bit, but it's doing yeah. that descending bit. But yeah, um, that that makes sense because it doesn't sound quite right. But it's it does sound artificial. Mm. But you'd get that if you did it individually. I'm gonna have to experiment and do something yeah, like that definitely. myself you might have to do another time is running out cover. <laughs> oh god could you imagine um, where I just endlessly overdo my covers again but I do it string um, time is running out string by string you definitely do that just take one one song and just keep covering it with different versions <laughs> <laughs> my, sh- 
My strings are running out. Yeah, it'd be like, and on this version, I'm using a gauge 10 set of strings. And on this one, it's a gauge 11. Can you hear the difference? <laughs> uh, or one of them where it's like, I, I record each note for, on the guitar and then sample it and turn that into the song where it takes me yeah. hours and hours. And oh hours. my God, like, you have to do this now. You have to make Time Is Running Out the song that you just keep covering with slightly different alterations. And by the, end, by the end, you need a full launch pad, like a MIDI launch pad, and you've just cued all the different guitar parts on it and you're just <laughs> playing that instead. Like, that'd be sick, man. <laughs> Comment if you want to see Harry do that. <laughs> Oh god! I think one of my favorite things I've done with my covers is where I've done it like half a step down. Mm, I really like those covers uh, you've I've, done. I've done a few of those. I, I did it for I did it for the small print once, and someone really didn't like it. Oh fuck off! Like, why would you not want something to sound heavier? Like <laughs> the small print is so good, half a step down. But anyway, yeah, I, I I've I've run out of things to to kind of really talk about with with Thomas right now because again, I've hit the things that I really wanted to mention. Mm. The fact that you know the the doubling up of the bass and the different versions that are live. Um, it, it I, in terms of how it was made, it, it, it's again kind of similar to to Apocalypse. Please, it's just nothing really stands out. It's just really solidly done, and I'm blown away by that factoid, that little factlet that you said about oh, um, there you go. that it was done string by string. That's re- that's actually given me a whole new perspective for that song. And I'm going to have to listen to it over yeah. and over and over. I'm going to have to listen to it again now, because even though I know that, it's like I'm reminding myself, I'm like, oh, yeah, you can kind of hear it. The last thing I will say about um, Time Is Running Out before we can move on to Sing For Absolution is this is possibly the first time Dom's had like an iconic drum groove with the whole, I've written it down, uh, actually, in the, in the cue sheets as... You have. <laughs> dooku, dooku, ka, dooku, 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 ka, psh. Which is obviously the thing that happens in the, in the second pre-chorus or whatever the fuck it is. But I really want to make an oo woo joke in here. Ooh, yeah, dooku woo woo cha. Um, anyway, um, oh no, oh, that sounds That's, like I'm doing imagine- like fake Japanese dooku oo woo cha. Well, this is the Japanese version of this. There we go. That's why I've written it like that, evidently, because I just knew. Um, But yeah, that's a really sick drum beat. And it's one of those ones that I think you could probably just play in isolation and people will go, oh, yeah, that's that Muse drum beat. That Muse drum beat. Anyway. um, Maybe we we should just call this episode Uwu. (laughs) Absolution Uwu. Uwu edition. Yeah. um. Uwu edition. Yeah, anyway, moving on to... Thank you, Kimiko. Right, so Sing for Absolution. This is personally one of my favourite Muse songs, so I'm just going to get that out of the way. Yeah. It kind of, it's difficult to kind of put where. Um, 100% top 10, maybe even top 5. It's been there before. But anyway, this is the interesting thing. The, that, that the, 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 the song opens and you've got that piano playing that melody. It's 100% it's a piano, but at the same time, it doesn't sound like one, which mm. is really bizarre. Really bizarre. It's really hard to put my finger on it because you... That is 100% a piano, but it doesn't feel right. Not, as, not that it sounds wrong, but it just doesn't sound like of this mm. kind of earth. And this is where, to me, where production really started to get a bit interesting for me. Yeah. Um, I don't know what they did with that piano. Personally, I don't know. I can tell you if but you like. Done, absolutely, go for it, man. Okay, um, I'll jump in here and then I'll let you carry on with the rest of the track. 
Um, so I, th- I believe on this one they used a technique called prepared piano, um, which is interestingly in the making of Absolution. I think they're talking to Rich Costi and, um, he uh, says that they're using techniques very similar to Philip Glass, I think, who was a um, serialist composer um, back in like the, I don't know, I, I'm not going to guess, but it was the 20th century at some point, um, which is interesting because prepared piano is like kind of came from John Cage, who was also quite a mm. forward thinking um Composer in the lunatic. 20th century. Yeah, lunatic, but composer in the 20th century. Um, famous um, for four, four, four... What was it? 450... 344. 344, sorry. Um, or was it 344? Yeah, 344. Yeah. So I was going to say, for anyone who doesn't know John Cage, he's the guy who made that song that's nothing. Mm. Really interesting, and- like pushing the limits of what classical music can be. But basically, prepared yeah. piano is where you put like nails and screws and bits of tape or metal or whatever across the piano strings and it creates like you still get the note but you get this weird like after after notes and overtones resonance yeah and kind of like very metallic sounding um and i know that they also at least live used to run the pianos and keyboards through a Fender DeVille amp. Um, so I think it's a combination of prepared piano and going through a guitar amp of some sort. Wow. Didn't know that. Well, there you go. <laughs> Again, as, as a guitarist, I'm just like, what's that guitar doing? And weirdly, as a as as it's one of my favourite songs, and I'm a guitarist, you'd think, you'd think, be like, why does Harry like this one? There's, the guitar doesn't really feature prominently in this. Oh, but when in, it does. The, in the verse... In, oh. Yeah, right. That's the thing. Yeah. It's like... In the verses, it's got that very muted um, guitar that's just going. Dun, 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 dun. Very, I'm starting to sing the song now. Hell it's just, yeah! It's very, it's all the tram, all the trouble seemingly is just rolled off, and it's just you know, just it's there backing up the rhythm. It's not trying to stick out. It's just there supporting it, giving some extra flavors and ambiences. In the chorus, it's very, very minimal. You, mm. can, you can hear it, but it's not front and center. And then when you get to the solo, where it is a guitar solo, it's not like a balls to the wall thing. Like even the the fuzz wah tone on there, you can still hear it, but it's not like going crazy it's it's trying to be more atmospheric as a sound and i absolutely love that approach because it's just kind of you could go right yeah it's a guitar so like make it you know stick a couple of like stacks on there and let's just go crazy with it it's like well no let's we've had a big massive apocalyptic song we've had a kind of balls to the wall kind of rock song let's go in a different direction where we take it down a bit, but we still have these elements, but we kind of strip them and subdue them a bit, but still make it sound massive. It's production to me that's so frigging clever. Yeah. This is one of their best, like, produced songs, I think. Um, Absolutely. It's, mm. a shame it, it, it's a shame it didn't really survive outside of Black Hole's Revelations tour. But I'll tell you what seriously made me come was... <laughs> 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 was when they brought it back for the Shepherd's Bush gig because I thought it was brilliant that Matt Bellamy didn't expect that one and it does still sound fucking sick like now. Oh, I was so, I was so emotional when I saw that it was, yeah. that it was played for that gig because it like I said it's one of my favorite ones. It was the tenth voted one because mm. it was a, like a it was like just about made it but I was like absolutely it needs to be there because it's such a banger. Yeah, I hope they bring it back for they should do. It would fit really well with Will of the People. Um in the context of that album. I hope they bring it back. Can but hope. Can mm. but hope. Well, in terms of some fun factoids, they said, Matt said in an interview that he used 
the guitar like a Kurt, that like the guitar that's that's shown in the Come As You Are video by Nirvana. It's just a big like uh, hollow body guitar for the for the chorus guitar. That's what they that's what he said or what oh. was in an interview. But to be honest, when you read interviews, I'm like, especially for music that era, were they just taking the piss? And were they on shrooms? Um, like- yeah. Um, <laughs> But in terms like that, that's what I'd seen. Um, it is interesting, mm. but but then you look at the making of album like documentary, and it's just like it's just it's just Manson guitars, and I'm like, mm, stop lying, Matt. Yeah, um, I feel like he does that a lot, man. Like, and props to him because I would absolutely do the same if I knew that I was famous enough and like that people would be interested in the equipment i'm using i'd fuck people over so much i'd be like oh actually um uh i'm i'm totally not using a electro harmonics big muff i'm actually using this random 12 pound pedal i bought off amazon i just nearly swallowed my hair <laughs> there we go that's karma for being like i'd fuck people over <laughs> and then he choked on my throat sweet anyway um i uh, i'm playing it through a sponge yeah i, I would to- totally be like you see those videos on like youtube where uh, people have like plugged a potato into a guitar amp and played guitar through it that's the tone on that song and people would be like what <laughs> i call it the x spud <clears throat> yeah, I'd name a song like Potatoes in Space or something. I don't fucking know. That's a fucking terrible title for a song. <laughs> there are songs that come that exist later on in, in the kind of the music discography where there's a lot more of a, a, a wider usage of like phaser effects or kind mm. of like, you know, rolling uh, modulation effects. Um, and I think in the solo for this, it sounds more like a wah pedal than a phaser just because of the, the characteristic is a little bit off, a little bit odd. It doesn't mm. have the same, the same regularity, yeah. as a regularity as a phaser would. Now, it, what does it sound like to you? Because to me, it sounds more like a fuzz wah. Yeah, I think it's just, a wah. Just for the solo bit, yeah. I think it's probably... Um, I wouldn't be surprised, actually, just thinking about the way the sound develops if he was using his um, DeLorean or Blackhead, um, because that's got a phaser in as well, isn't it? They both do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, either one of those guitars, I wouldn't be surprised if he's running Fuzz Factory on, phaser on, and then into a fuzz wah of some... Not a fuzz wah, just a wah pedal of some sort. Just a wah. Because there yeah. are aspects where it sounds like the wah's fully open, but there's still some like high-end information coming through on the Some fuzz sound. Modulation there. Yeah, yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if he's done something like that. If not, it is just a wah that's like really aggressive Q shape kind of thing. So you get that full on yeah. as you get like right up to the top. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's what I was kind of referring to earlier where it wasn't, it was a guitar solo that's not being treated like a normal guitar solo. They've taken it another way, making everything more subdued by maybe having two types and two flavors of modulation in there mm. to keep everyone guessing. I love that approach. It was so experimental. And I think maybe it's something that's being a bit lost with later Muse albums. Maybe with Will of the People, you can get the sense there's a little bit more of experimentation going on. But with drones jumping way ahead from Absolution, it sounds more like um, it was just really well-rehearsed guitar drums bass. Absolutely yeah. nothing wrong with that, but it didn't really have, have that experimental sound with it. Mm. But obviously we had, um, we, had a di- we had we had a different producer for drones um, with a very old-school style approach for music. Mm. That's had a, the producer has a massive influence on how the, how the music sounds. Uh, simulation theory, 
maybe was experiment you could argue it as experimental but kind of all the wrong directions potentially <laughs> for some people mm. um but and then will of the people kind of tines it up but i think really origin of symmetry and our absolution both have the right level of experimentation and execution that's done really well because it was very it was a very clearly well done team up of Rich Costi and Muse mm. bringing it together. I think that's kind of the brilliant kind of team up of the two of them, at least. Um, and to me, Absolution and Origin are kind of like the, the the best examples of experimentation that they can do as a whole. And Sing for Absolution is the thing to me, a testament of what the album does really, really well. Yeah. I, I kind of wish they'd work with Rich Costi more because I think he brings out something in them that they don't necessarily get from just being by themselves. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. But I think um, in regards to Sing for Absolution, it's actually like, it's one of those ones that I really, really love, but I constantly forget even exists. And I think the solo in it is brilliant. I think the tremolo solo that happens underneath the last chorus chooses some really nice harmonic like harmonies if you know what I mean, like the notes it picks creates really nice harmonies between the chords and the, the melody of the vocals. As I know, Rich Costi did actually uh, work up, produce simulation theory. So that kind of flies in the face of the thing that, thing that I said about him oh. being, being brilliant for um, a, t- a team. Up, well, but maybe yeah. they were just, maybe they were both just having brain problems at the time when they were doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. That's interesting. Hmm. Weird. <coughs> Anyway, moving on. Let's talk to me about um, Kimiko. Help me out. Talk to me about that. Uh, thank you very much, Kimiko. We're going to be talking about one of my favourite Muse songs now, Stockholm Syndrome, which is uh, yeah, it's a really interesting one. I'm just double checking my notes for this. You're just going to get give a 20 minute TEDx talk about yeah. uh, where Stockholm Syndrome came from. Yeah, the actual con- <laughs> the condition. I'll be like, oh, I think I've got the wrong topic here. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, <laughs> So, first time they've really done metal, I think. Yeah, first time they've done metal, Stockholm Syndrome. It's kind of thrashy. I said one of the first first and only times they've done thrash metal because that whole sounds like it could be straight out of that um what is that video? Oh, you know what I'm talking about with the it's like um, Mudvayne. That's the one. It sounds like something. I don't know that. Oh, I'll have to send you the video. You'll recognise it. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, I probably would. It's a hundred percent like a Mudvayne kind of riff. Like it's um, right. Well, it's a system of a down riff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's um, not the first time Muse have taken from other people. <laughs> but yeah, it's a really or the last. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a really interesting song because apparently um, fans hated it when it first came out. Um, and they so were like, so oh, surprising. weird metal, I don't so like surprising it. surprising to me. But uh, to be honest with you, that sums up Muse fans to me. Like, they, re- they really don't like change. Um, and sometimes they, they're right, like, there are some changes, let's <laughs> think. Um, they're right to hate. Yeah. But some things... Because just, I agree with it. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there are some things where I'm like, it's just different, man. It's not objectively better or worse than anything they've done before. But anyway, regardless of fan reaction, um, I think the sounds they've got for the riff on this is really interesting. Um, yeah. It's pro- I've, I've written in the notes, it's probably a flanger or a phaser on the recording, but I do know because I think it was 
Is it Tim from Manson's? It wasn't Tim. It was someone else because it's someone who had to have been working at Manson's since 2002, 2003. Yeah. Someone basically working at Manson's posted a story about um, this. I remember this. Yeah, yeah, quite recently talking about how one time, probably in about 2002, um, Matt Bellamy, or maybe 2003, uh, Matt Bellamy went into um, Manson's to try out a load of wah pedals and they said that he said that he just heard this riff being played over and over again with different wah pedals. And I'm sure yep. um, there's probably usage of a wah pedal in there, but the majority of it sounds of it, very much like it. Mm. It sounds so like it, or it was it. Well, the riff really bloody works with a wah on it. I often play it with a wah <coughs> just to get the way with a, a cocked wah. It's just like all the tone off, or it's just like oh my god, it sounds so nasally, but it works perfectly. Mm. It's, um, I, th- I believe I believe the war specifically was one of them Vox wars. I think I remember him saying that in the story because he'd like they picked up a bunch of them, and I think he said Vox. I think that's that's what's sticking in my mind. Yeah, I can't think of another. I can't think of any other pedal war pedals that he's ever used. Really, um, well, he, well, he was in a guitar shop. It wasn't Manson Guitar Works because it didn't exist then. It was the Manson Guitar Shop for mm. listeners. So it was just like here is a bunch of wars we have in stock. Go crazy. Um, like so, you would have had Jim Dunlop, but it would have been, wouldn't have been Vox ones. Some of the some of the weird ones. Um, I'm sure that's what he said in this in 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 the piece. I, I would have reckon if it's possible to track that down, or if it was just an Instagram story or something. Yeah. Well, I will have to have a look for that, or maybe if they if anyone from Manson's does listen to this, um, let us know. I think know. after the <laughs> uh, well, well, we'll see if they listen to it. Yeah, hopefully. Um, what was I going to say? I think they've probably used the same technique from Time Is Running Out, like the multi-tracking guitar thing for the verses of Stockholm, because the separation of the notes of the chords that he's playing sounds so separate that I think they probably did it again. Ah, uh, so I don't think so. I don't hear it like that. Okay. I hear it's very much as just I I hear it as just like one guitar, but maybe just put through a bunch of different amps or bif- a bunch of different mics in front of the amp mm. to get those sounds to make it sound bigger. That to me very much sounds like it was just like like a normal recording. Interesting. Um, I'll have to listen again. A bunch of mics. Yeah, but that's just that's just me because it doesn't have that same kind of feel to it. Mm. But it is still quite a, a wide. Um, well, yeah, the, yes, completely yeah, agree. Yeah, the, the guitars are weird on this song. Yeah, I mean, to me, it just sounds like it's just it's just an amp with a load of mics in front of it, so you can get optimal frequency, you know, uh, real estate, so you can really play around mm. with what's going on. Yeah, actually, you know, if, if, any, if anyone like listening kind of wonders about music production, like you never take an amp and stick a microphone in front of it. There's always, you know, science and thinking behind it. You want to think about what type of microphone you want to use and where you want to place it and absolutely put loads and several microphones in front of one amp to collect all those sounds. Mm, and actually now... Microphones don't all sound the same. Mm. Um, yeah, now you've mentioned that, really I could imagine it being a room track or something that they've bout, like they've almost done the direct amps to the left, the direct mics to the left and then the room mics to the right or something to give it that sense of width almost. Mm. Yeah, that... Yeah. that 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 sounds a lot more plausible to me. To you'd still retain that space, that feeling of space mm. within the recorder, but all the energy from just playing, you know, those octaves in one go. Mm. Because if you, in my mind, if you were going to do the whole playing the guitar track, but string by string, 
yes, you'd have that clarity of those notes, but you'd lose all the energy from the performance. Well, not all the energy, but a lot of the energy from the performance because you've got when you play a power chord, you've it's yeah. called a freaking power chord for a reason. Yeah, you've got to push through it a bit more as opposed um, to just yeah. digging, 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 kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like a: do you want to sacrifice the clarity for more raw power, or do you want to sacrifice that power so you can hear mm. it? But it's, there's just no energy behind it. And yeah, it would it would make sense for so many things, but just not for heavy driven stuff. Yeah, I know what you mean, and um, it also. Uh, thinking about it it probably is the tone that he describes using a lot back in the showbiz era which was the clean channel just like dimed all the way up um because it's got that it's really cutting and brutal but it doesn't sound like a crunch tone or a distorted tone it's just yeah it doesn't have that doesn't have that kind of clipping kind of not clipping but that breaking kind of mm, sound it just feels very prominent and in your face kind of thing yeah, it's very it's very old school kind of like approach to a guitar. Like you know, very early back in the day, when amps did not have distortion on it. Amps did you did not have pedals. You just turn up amps really loud, and then it would start to naturally distort. Mm. That's what the Beatles did. It's an approach that people still have. Mm. It's, a pre- it's, it's a perfectly reasonable approach because it's it's like natural distortion where it's got uh, so much more warmth and body to it. You got that clarity in there. Something about like. You know, an, an, an amp overdriving itself naturally on its own has such a warmer and thicker, thicker, more genuine sound to it that often that you'd just go be like, that is just the perfect tone. Mm. Some people, some might say. It's, there are so, so many genres that would not work for, you know, your Norwegian death metal that just uh, wouldn't work. Yeah, need, the, uh, need a metal zone or two for that, I think. <laughs> metal zone. Um, I still need to make that video, actually. You do. I'd love to see that. Um, yeah. Carry it on with Coming the guitar. Coming in 2024. Uh, sorry, carrying on with the guitar. Um, mm. I've always found it really, really weird and interesting um, that the pre-chorus comes in with the stabs, um, and it turns into basically that fuzz factory sound um, from the beginning of the newborn riff. Um, and then all of a sudden, the guitars just disappear entirely yes. for the main well, chorus. It happens- it happens for the last chorus. Oh, that. yes, it is in there for the, the... You can hear the kind of power chordy stuff in the last chorus. But the other ones, you're just like... Oh, no, 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 other, other way around. You get that You get that big that big sound and then it just fades out. Yeah, that's what I mean, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, that. why did they do that? Because that bit's got so much more energy. It's kind of, this is the third time we're playing this chorus. Mm. Add something new and new sonically to it, where you just want it to drive that a little bit more. So keep that. Even if it's just a bit lower in the mix, have have that power chord, like those descending power chords right in there, but no, we're going to take them out. That's the really, I think, the only uh, improvement, inverted commas, I'd have for Stockholm Syndrome. Mm. Just like that final chorus, make it punch. Yeah, I think... Um by that last chorus it should sound like it does live where he's either playing big chunky power chords slightly overdriven chords that he then moves up an octave or whatever or something Mm. it just needs a little bit more but in saying that there's something so unexpected and brilliant about the choruses because they just completely shift away from the metal that's happened before yeah like it's this yeah. weird ethereal like I don't even know how to describe it really just a complete opposite to the rest of the song which you think would be terrible but it kind of works like well no it's that's just classic muse misdirect well not misdirection but like taking it in a different direction 
where they can, you know, do the big crazy stuff, but then pull it back because it's different. So that when you go back into the big heavy stuff, it hits just as hard again because we've had a break from it. Like that run up to the um to the riff again, you know that that wouldn't work if we had a chorus that was just as brutal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have to have the highs with the lows. Brilliantly done. I think when I you might get this as well when you talk to people about music and they go, oh, music, but they're so like so like shit and they don't really go very hard. It's like, well, yeah, you can't can't be at 11 all the time Mm. otherwise it doesn't otherwise it doesn't make sense yeah you have to come down to go up yeah and i always i always think with people who say certain things like that about muse i'm like that's fine you just don't want to listen to muse you want to listen to like a metal band or you want to listen to a pop band whereas muse kind of teeter the line between the two and like some people really like when they lean one way and people like it when they lean another way um Mm. but that is muse like you can't I've always found it weird when people say they love things like Stockholm Syndrome and Liquid State and stuff, but they hate madness. And I'm like, oh, you don't get Muse then. Like, you don't understand <laughs> what they're about. Like, they've always, always, always been like, one, we're going to do this because we want to and we want to ex- experiment. And two, we experiment. That's the whole thing. Like, it's always they want to do what they want to do. And it's experimentation. Like, that's the whole mm. point. Like Adding to that, Muse never do that one sound, that one genre for a whole album. Mm. Yes, they might lean heavily to one thing. Like, you know, Drones is the big one of, like, it's just like, you, you know, your you three-piece big rock stuff. But there's, there's other edge. Uh, but then there's Revolt on that album. <laughs> yeah. And, or, like, Dead Inside. Yeah, yeah. Or aftermath, where it's kind of doing some uh, doing some interesting stuff. You know, uh, aftermath is basically I love just Pink, Pink Floyd. Floyd. Oh wow, that was weird. Like that, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we both said that at the same time. <laughs> and it, that, but that's my point. They never do. They never do one album, one sound for one album. Even with Simulation Theory, yes, they did the whole eighties Odyssey thing. But mm. you know, they mixed it up with a Diet Rage Against the Machine song, mm. or or something human, <laughs> or Blockade. It's like, pretty weird. Exactly, it's you know they they really experiment with it, and when I think I said this before, when we talked to, when we spoke about Will of the People, the album, when I when it was before it released, everyone was saying, oh, we've had that one song, we've had won't stand out. The whole album is going to be a metal album. It's mm. like if you if you genuinely think that, you've kind of ignored all of Muse's previous work mm. in the context of they don't do that one sound and it's and i'm not i'm I, when i say that I, I never insulted people it's more like you know muse are cleverer than that from just going from just for for, for one sound mm. and you're a fan of them for because they do that and it's like it, they can do those sorts of things in one song with stock on syndrome where it's a massive thing in the verses and the riff but then with the chorus it comes down we're leaning way more into the vocal performance side of things but with big heavy bass behind it to keep that drive going the drums are there to keep and kind of complement the bass keeping that energy right there so then we come into that build up for that riff everything collides together and then explodes into that riff again. It is, if if you ask me, one of their best compositions that they've really ever had because it's flying all over the place, but it's got such a great through line, such a great narrative to it, really weaving and really playing on all of their strengths. Mm. Great musicianship, great production with it, uh, great vocal performance, and knowing when and where to go with stuff. They never, they never step on each other's toes with this. 
and it's an absolutely phenomenal song and why it is one of my all-time favorite songs like from the from the band because it does it ticks all the boxes of what they can do everyone goes on about citizen erased is like the quintessential muse song because it does everything that they do yes but i like to take that conversation further and go yeah but like look at other songs where they do mm. everything mm. exhibit a stuck on the drum yeah and i think like what you're saying about they don't step on each other's toes I'm just going to bring up again um, the uh, making of Absolution video where you can see, and I don't know if this was just done to try and, like I said earlier, mess with fans or um, portray this idea that Matt Bellamy is a genius or whatever, or more of a genius than he actually is or whatever. Um, I think it was probably genuine because I've done stuff like this where he's written out the pattern of the arpeggio oh, yeah. that's going to happen in the Stockholm choruses. And I've always thought, I, d- I don't know whether that was done for the camera or what. Um, I personally think, because I've done shit like that, man. I When I was writing songs... That has to be real. Yeah. That has to like, be genuinely real. Because when I've been writing songs and stuff, like I'll literally have the guitar part and a drum part put into Logic, and I can already hear, oh, well, there's going to be that synth that comes down there, so then the vo- the violin part needs to do that or whatever. So it entirely po- it's, li- it's likely that's just how his brain works as like a songwriter. But I always found that quite interesting that he was so specific about it's got to do, it's got to come up slowly. And then the point, because he kind of drew the bar lines in as well for each, um, yeah, each section, which helps with the descending bit coming down. Yeah. I was going to say, I suppose you'd have to put in the bars so that you know where to bring it down. Mm. Um, at this point, I'm just going to give a shout out to Lau, who's, who's doing that arpeggio guitar, that, that arpeggio synth bit on guitar holy shit right if you're watching her stories about where she's slowly speeding up doing that oh my god it is absolutely incredible and i can't wait to to check that out and do it myself as well Uh (laughs) yeah it is insane yeah so huge props allow the last well the last thing that i want to speak about stockholm syndrome and i would speak about it for ages is just is that guitar tone for the solo. Now, this is one of the few times I believe that Matt used that Roland synth pickup. Oh, okay. Right. So we've I've spoken about this about this with you before previously. Mm. In terms of like, yes, there's a synth part in that guitar part. If you take the like a gain plugin on Logic and then put the song out of phase and roll that kind of balance control where you can isolate just the guitar, um, you can or like. You do it in a way where you can actually like um, pan across the entire stereo field. You can hear definitely the guitar doing this, but in the solo section, you can hear this weird synth thing playing it in, at the same time. And now I believe that's because of the Roland synth pickup that's being used. Because I think in an interview somewhere they did say that they did something like like this, and so I took that plug into it and tried to isolate this track where you can hear this synth just doing the the riff, and it's insane and you can't hear it brilliantly well and if you listen to just the song on its own mm. you have to isolate the song so you know what you're listening for when you do listen to the actual song itself but it's it's brilliant and it's it, again it's just real good example of great experimentation in the studio for making this album it was like yes we could just put a guitar solo in here from a normal like tone crank it but no let's get a bit more interesting let's have a more a, some hidden elements and it just adds so much more to stock on because it's 
just crazy. They didn't have to do it, but they did it, and I think it's brilliant. I like it, and now I'm starting to think about, hmm, what would, I'm going to have to add a MIDI pickup into my Dream Manson custom that we were yeah. talking about last time. Yeah, MIDI pickup in that as well, then. I would like to muck around with that. I'd be curious as well to know if you could achieve something similar with your boss synth pedal if you created a split signal somehow yeah i could do probably yeah, maybe might not exactly like that mm. but probably some gnarly nasal synth tone yeah for sure oh that is that's another challenge yeah well there you go. It's next, <laughs> next one is the stockholm syndrome guitarless version endless covers of stockholm syndrome <sighs> i think we've probably exhausted stockholm syndrome now um, and you know what? You know what that means. It's time for Kimiko. Falling away with you. Oh, thank you, Kimiko. Thank you very much, Kimiko. What did what did Kimiko say? Uh, she just introduced us to uh, falling away with you, which is um, one of the talk to me two Muse tracks. No, that's a lie. <laughs> it's one of two Muse tracks. I was going to say it's one of the two <laughs> Muse tracks they've never played live, but then I thought actually no, that number's grown quite a bit since that was true. Um, considerably, yeah, considerably. Which is, a, which is a shame. But this is one of the um, Muse songs oh, they've never played that I would really like them to play, basically. Um, oh, no, that, that's just triggered me. I'm sorry. What? No, um, because, uh, you know, when we did... Oh, God, this is going way off topic once again. We're so bad I think at this. I know what you're going to talk about, but go on. You know, when we talked about the Will of the People album, we did we did uh, guesses on which song's never going to get played live. Yeah, and I and I said Verona, and technically I'm not wrong. No, but they've they've not played Euphoria. I know. I remember either. I said Euphoria would be the one they wouldn't play. They've not played Ghosts. Yeah, I think they're probably saving Ghosts and Verona for the actual tour of it. But I'm not sure about Euphoria. I think that's too hard for him to reliably I think do. That's too, I think that is way too hard for them. I th- and I think Verona is just maybe asking too much. So. Mm. Big sad. Could you imagine this have three whole songs that never get played live? That would be the biggest middle finger to the audience ever. I know. I, I can really see them doing Verona live. I think we should keep this in because it's just a little a good side bit. But I think they'll definitely do Verona live because it's their Coldplay moment where they can get everyone to get the lights up and have multicoloured lasers going off and everything. I think it will become their new um, dig down, basically, for this tour. Oh, well, that's not... Technically, that's not a good thing. (laughs) I don't know. I quite liked... When they started doing the cold gospel dig down thing, I quite liked it. As much as I would have preferred them to actually do the... thing. Um... It was it was all right, you know, like it was it was good. But I think Verona is a way better version of of um, Dig Down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, falling back away to with falling you. away with you. So I've written on the cue sheet here. This is a truly beautiful song. I think I got a bit emotional Aww. actually when I was um, like writing up the the cue sheet for this because I was listening to it and I was like, oh, it's a really good song, isn't it? Um, anyway, so I really love the syncopated, I think it's a tongue drum or maybe a hand pan, um, that you hear at the beginning, that kind of dong, 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 dong thing. I'm sure it's a hand pan. Yeah. You I think play it with your hands. Yeah. I think it is a hand pan. I only said tongue drum because we had a tongue drum in, uh, um, the music shop this week. <laughs> it was really nice. I've got one actually, I've got one in my, st- I can't get it out. It's behind a load of shit, but I've got a little one in my studio, but the one we had at work was like big and you just like you kind of you can either tap the top or use like beaters and it's such a lovely sound um but anyway tongue drum 
that's syncopated and it kind of goes with those weird I, i'd love to know what it was that they actually used to achieve the sound of that syncopated bass swell that happens in the first verse because you've got this kind of thing going on could it just be like a a pretty sophisticated gate or an LFO? Absolutely. And now thinking about it, I wouldn't be surprised if it was just the Deep Impact set on a setting where the attack was just set perfectly so that it would constantly ramp up in time every time you played it and it was just a bomb, bomb, say, bomb. It, it would just be a, uh, an envelope. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that would be it. But that's really nice. I think the whole soundscape they create in this... Um, in this song is really interesting. Um, I've written it's perhaps their only ballad other than hoodoo that still hits pretty hard when the drums and everything else come in. I think I'll stand by that statement. Um, cause although hoodoo's a, not really a lovey ballad, it's quite upsetting and dark. Falling oh, God, away yeah. with you is like pretty dark, but it's still got that lovey aspect to it, but it still hits pretty hard when he goes, feel my whatever mm-hmm. um like that's pretty hard um <laughs> uh, yeah that's pretty hard um, anyway. oh, mr bellamy is that is that you or just... oh mr bellamy it's so hard um <laughs> <laughs> oh god um other thing i'd say is um Baseline's really interesting. It's got some really quite tricky stuff going on, which sounds just like maybe the that's why it was never played live. Possibly, um, but then I do kind of believe Matt Bellamy for saying it's too emotional because I think the lyrics are some of the um, probably some of the best lyrics he's written, other than maybe Hoodoo. Um, just the one that gets me every time is uh, staying awake to chase a dream, tasting the air you're breathing in. And there was another one. What's the other one? I want to hold you close and pray, watching the fantasies decay. Nothing will ever stay the same. All of the love we threw away. Whoa! Fucking hell, man. He was obviously going through <laughs> a tough one at that point. Like, that's some, some of his best lyrics by far, I think. Um, yeah. Because the imagery, like, the, just the, the, purely the imagery of staying awake to chase a dream. Oh, that's like poetry, man. That's fucking beautiful. <laughs> like that's like uh, that's like art or some shit like that. This is me gushing over what is probably quite a simple lyric, and you can get a folk singer up or something, and it will be like genuine art that he's written, and everyone will be like, mm. "Well, you're impressed by these lyrics, are you?" Kind of, well, anyway, well, I was going to say like a lot of people dump on muse lyrics. Yeah, because like, especially fair. recently, they do just seem to consist of fuck the government, they will get us, babe, soul, whoo! and then it's, yeah, that's basically, <laughs> that's basically muse lyrics these days. Um, but back in Absolution, he still had some stuff to say. And um, yeah, I yeah. think lyrically, Falling Away With You is a beautiful song. Last thing I've got to say about it, really, um, which you can kind of tag on to, is the outro um, of Falling Away With You's got this really quite sinister bubbling of distortion underneath the kind of semi-clean guitar part and the vocal that he's doing. And it just, it's so great how it kind of fizzes in and then suddenly we're setting the stage for the next song. But anyway, I'll let you say some things about Falling Away With You if you'd like. Yeah, it's, it's, 
it sounds like the same same effect that she used for interlude like it was just like the extended version of it because yeah. it's so related um I, i've got i've not got anything that's going to articulate my my thoughts that are anywhere more as poignant as what you've done for it so i won't really touch it but in terms of uh, as I normally would, kind of like in, from the guitar aspect, more from a compositional aspect rather than uh, production-wise, because I've not it doesn't it doesn't stand out to me as something that's um, this is a really interesting production on it. It, mm. it sounds quite you know standard. You know, like, let's just get some microphones in front of this and record it because the guitar for this isn't trying to do anything crazy. It's just supporting the rhythm. So why go crazy with it? I just love the flow of the chord sequences in here. Mm. The uh, the chorus p- part particularly, where it's just a bit of a subtle change around an A, ma- an A major for a little bit, and then it kind of goes up, and then the like it's like a pre-chorus is the feel your world bit, and then the chorus chorus is actually something else, and those the chords there shift up. Uh, well, at least in the version that I play, it sounds. Just guitar chord wise, sounds way more like a um, a Red Hot Chili Pepper song. I know what you era. mean. Mm. It, it, like the song doesn't sound like it, but just the chords. Mm. It's like this John Frusciante suddenly appeared. I was going to say, yeah, that is a hundred percent what the guitar sounds like, especially once it stops doing the finger picking and starts just playing basically yeah. what I think are bar chords basically yeah 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 it's like i said it's just that second part of the chorus where re- that really starts up because there's one chord in particular i don't know what it is i just play it is this like, oh my sorry god, this carol is- it- and it just sounds oh my god this sounds just so much like a red hot chili pepper song mm. like, what this is crazy is there some like, sort that, that, of that's all i got to yeah is there some sort of um pitch effect going on on that guitar part though because i'm sure it sounds like because I'm, I'm thinking of the right part, like the jing 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 That basic, that I'm singing the wrong notes, but that pattern in the second part of the verse. It to me, it really sounds like maybe not a whammy, or maybe it's the whammy bar, but it sounds like he's coming up to the pitch of the notes each time, like it's going. I was really dramatizing it for you there, but there is something there. I, I, I know what you're saying. It's similar to the like hysteria that. part where he's bending the the whammy bar down or just moving his fingers back a, a fret and back up um, in the choruses. Maybe. It's similar to that kind of sound. Maybe I've never really kind of noticed that part, that sort of thing before. But uh, maybe maybe that's what's maybe that maybe again it's just like really brilliant subtle production that actually goes way under the radar. Mm, but yeah, knows? that's all I've really got to add to it. I yeah. mean, it's it's just sad that we've never seen it live because I think. Maybe in some of the, in the some of the discussions that we've had about these songs, we tend to go into at the moment at least have gone toward what it how it translates live. And the sad thing is, we don't have a live version of this song to compare it to. We've only had um, the tiny, tiny, tiny snippet that he did on the on the acoustic for that one gig, and then the oh. two times he's played the riff live. Mm. Um, one from way back in two thousand two at the Carling Academy or whatever it was, and then one time randomly in two thousand seven. I'll have to, you'll have to send me those if you've got them because I don't know if I've ever seen him play it other than the 2018 iHeartRadio um, yeah, gig. Yeah, that was just the, the that was just the fir- the verse riff I think. Um, mm. uh, for the other two that I'm thinking of is actually he did the, he teased the chorus. Weird for it. Yeah, yeah, and it was like 
and it was it wasn't even like the the 2002 version was it kind of wasn't quite how we got it live um how we got it in the the album because mm. he's he's doing even doing vocals but he's kind of like doing the Matt Bellamy ooze for the vocals so he's not singing he's just kind of taking like a melody for mm. the vocals but mm. but then just for the 2007 one it was just he just playing i think even clean just the chorus interesting so it wasn't it, it's it's not it's not representative of the song at mm. all. But that's what I mean. We've got nothing to play off of a, a live version to go, oh, it's translated like this, mm. or this is much clearer, or it's kind of, it's aged, it's evolved, it's changed this way. It's it's just really sad because it's such a stunning song. Yeah. Um, I think the last couple of things I'll say about it, it's got that chord progression in that I'm an incredible sucker for, which is a major four, minor four, one, which happens in Citizen Erased as well. I think in Citizen Erased it is just an F major, F minor, C major in the piano part at the end. But in Falling Away With You, it's the... Um that last bit is the major four minor four one that i just think is such such a satisfying sound and um yeah i love that sound um only other thing i'd say is it's um just to be maybe the one the first bit of criticism that i'd throw at the album it's in a bit of a weird place. In the album. Yeah. You've just come off Stockholm Syndrome, and then after this, you're going into one of their biggest songs ever in terms of riffs. Yeah. But why not have something that breaks it up, like Falling Away With You? You've got... Right, you so see, you've had the massive high of Stockholm Syndrome, so you want to come down. You want to go to think something really small, like mm. the intro from that, 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 the, um, that hand pan, to then bring it up with a nice little melody, some vocal stuff, and then you go a big chorus, big kind of almost apocalyptic-type chorus... Talking about world ending, or his world ending, and then you come down again, and then, and then it kind of it rises again, and then to kind of like not uh, to not not as a counterpoint, but as a kind of like a an unexpected support of that. What's coming up to the end of the song is that really dark, weird noise guitar. Mm. I think it's a brilliant position, and I think it's a brilliantly, brilliantly earned perfectly valid place in the album i think you're right and i think ultimately it does make sense to be where it is because of the way it links into interlude and gives a bit of a breath from stockholm however i would argue it might be i would maybe prefer it in between blackout and butterflies and hurricanes i think it would make a little bit more sense to have Blackout, which is very slow and smooth. Okay. But um, Falling Away With You, which is giving a bit more energy. Butterflies and Hurricanes, which is really ramping it back up. And then Small Print, which is like, oh, we're back in now, boys. Kind yeah. of thing. But <laughs> that was, that's just my one criticism I've got of the album so far. So it's doing well. I see, I see your point. But then if you add Falling Away With You there, that is front-loading more of the heavier stuff with Stockholm. And then what is the next song? I love how we're just avoiding saying hysteria. Yeah, I know. It's like, we're, we're not <laughs> um, going to talk about it yet. Then, no. <laughs> uh, um, but then having three songs that are kind of like doing some soft bit, loud bit, soft bit, loud bit. It's like a bit of a kind of stop start. Mm. I can, uh, but my point is, it might sound like I'm shitting on your idea, which I am only a little bit. I perfectly see what you, what you're trying to say, but I think it, it then has that effect of having three songs that, seemingly try to hop over the fence of getting energy back mm. and i think it would it would have to you have to have that break that 
falling away with you brings to to make the album work that's why i but mm. I, I i just think that the album is constructed brilliantly in terms of song structure no i see you personally. i think um i think but i know what you're saying yeah though. i think the only i think because in my head i don't know i i I struggle to structure, for me, when I'm writing my own stuff, I struggle to structure albums outside of a concept idea. And this isn't, this isn't really a concept album. This is just, um, no. like, a good album. Um, and so you, don't, you almost don't need the energy to flow in as smooth a way, if you see what I mean. Well, that, that's, that's fair. I think that the album falls apart a little bit in terms of, like, you know, decide on a pace at the end of the album specifically mm-hmm. small print fury kind of confuses things a little bit but then um endlessly thoughts of dying atheist mm. um weird yeah it, it's kind of like it goes up then down and up then down a bit in terms of like the vibe mm. yeah that's where it falls down a bit because i think what's what's been set up up to the point of blackout is brilliant there's a great narrative there mm. then with the tail end of the album then it starts to kind of fall away a little bit that's more of a discussion for the, at the end for later we've had it yeah. in the middle <laughs> let's talk about interlude right coming straight out of oh sorry kimiko i'm so sorry let's talk oh, about kimiko yeah thank you kimiko. thank you kimiko i'm so sorry yes interlude coming straight out of uh falling away with you so I just I just read the cue sheet and it kind of distracted me. I read the words "chef's kiss." Kiss, kiss. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, um, a great way to kind of like pair these songs together, where you could do a crossfade from one song into the next, mm. but it's like no, let's build it up pointlessly here mm. with a weird riff that's not going to get played live until twenty thirteen. <laughs> really they didn't do interlude till they didn't do interlude no they just did a weird noise in the build-up from absolution ah, tour that's with a bit of feedback yeah oh i might tell a, i might be telling a lie maybe they did it in resistance era but yeah it certainly wasn't played until do you know actually let me, let me that rings a bell let me find a random uh resistance era gig and see if interlude was played no i think you're yes oh it yes. was yeah, yes yeah, it was. So they didn't start playing it until like five years after the album had dropped in terms of like, Ooh. we're going to overtly play interlude. Here is here is the note A a bunch of times, but in <sighs> that sound weird. Octaves. Um, Octaves. But then it goes down and then up. I know you in the comments, I know it's not just A, it's, yeah. it's coming up and around so many times. But it's like, I, and, it, and it's brilliant. Um, it's because it's so short, I can't actually quite figure out the justification for having it in there. But it's so brilliant because it's such a short, short stab and has no relation really to either song that preceded or proceeded. In a way, it's kind of a shame it never may have not developed into a whole song or a riff properly of its of its own because it has some real potential there. I think it could have made an amazing two or three minute instrumental track. God, yeah, could you imagine? Really playing with feedback and stuff. Yeah. Or that goes into a soccer jam or something. Oh my god! Yeah, 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 definitely. And then boom! Oh yeah, that's the one thing Muse still haven't done is put a jam track on an album. Like that would be the perfect oh. place to do it. Interlude, which tr- actually transitions into a soccer jam, then it's hysteria. <sighs> but saying that, I do quite but, like the setup that it leaves for hysteria. Oh yeah, absolutely. But then I, I, I think that what that means is then you or I or and I. And Lau will have to do a version of Osaka Jam. Oh, yeah. 
So hysteria, right? Boom, straight into one of the best bass lines ever. But it started out as a guitar riff. Mm-hmm. Well, Matt wrote it, so it was a guitar riff or a piano riff or something, and then gives it to Chris. It's like I here, I've I've written this incredible bit. You play it on bass. I'm like, what? <laughs> that would be my, that would be my thought. I think what can you say about hysteria that hasn't been said before? Honestly, because mm. everyone will go, it's incredible, right? So you look at the studio version where you've got that bass synth pedal that's kind of really doing overtime to keep that going. Then live, it's just like more of an overdriven big muff kind of bass sound. Uh, different angles of approach for it. Each sound brilliant. Drums solid. Um, a guitar riff that steals from. Rage Against the Machine, Born of a Broken Man, but no one mentions it. What bit is it still from? The beginning, the the very intro riff. It's not even hidden. It's just... Oh, shit. How have I never... Oh, my God, you've just ruined everything. Well, actually, I've said that once before on this podcast, and you've had the exact same reaction, so you just don't remember. Yeah, maybe my brain is stopping me from remembering it, because I want to still enjoy both songs. Yeah, because you don't... You don't... Yeah, you don't want... And then... And then the riff that precedes that in the Rear Skits Machine version is basically a bit... A lot like Supermassive Black Hole. Yeah, I feel you, I feel you. Uh, so you're a, you're a hack fraud, Matt Bellamy. <clears throat> yeah, fuck you. Hopefully everyone can realise the sarcasm I'm saying that. This is the second episode where I've told Matt Bellamy to fuck off, basically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're welcome to talk about um, hysteria as much as you want, but I, really, the only thing I've got to kind of mention about this... It, 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 everyone's already said that, that uh, loads and loads about Hysteria. <clears throat> absolutely, you know, famous bass line, amazing song, one of music's biggest ever. Vocals are absolutely tip-top, amazing. Like, that's some definite massive layering mm. of vocals going on there. Um, really strong. Uh, has a chord sequence that's very similar to Audio Slaves' I Am The Highway. Again, another riff that's that from... Uh, <laughs> Tom Morello was it actually the year before 2002 when Audio Slave's debut album came out um, a lot of similarities with Tom Morello I'm just uh, just saying mm. um, uh, from this song hintity hint hint um, the only thing I'd say is that in terms of the guitar he used for this left field he used a Gibson SG did he? weird yeah weird right? mad that's really yeah. weird I'll have to listen to that and see yeah. if I can trick myself into hearing an SG now like that's interesting well, it's more like, you know, if you put enough effects on it, you can probably make anything sound different. Yeah, but I think yeah, it was just because maybe once it's in there with that slight tremolo arm in there. Oh, um, yeah. And, and uh. at that at that point, he didn't have a Manson that had a tremolo on it. Yes, he had the Parker Fly that he would then use for, apparently, use for Thoughts of a Dying Atheist solo. But I think maybe just wanted something that's a bit more kind of like chunky like mm. an SG sound mm. is. That's the only thing that I've got that's kind of going to really contribute to to a hysteria discussion because as you move forward, as they've kind of made it sound live, they've changed up the way that they make it sound in terms of the effects being used. Mm. There's a whammy on the solo sometimes and then sometimes there isn't. Um, uh, the, the improvisations that have happened post-hysteria are fine, but they're not central to it. It's It's kind of treated like the iconic song that it is Mm. and maybe my thoughts are they know how good it is they know how popular it is and then 
they're just treating it like you know that song and they can just do a, a riff or two over the over the top of it at the end because they like it and they like to play know your enemy yeah but then there was that there was that period where they dropped hysteria a bit yeah um a, li- a little bit I'm sorry, am I boring? No, sorry, you? I'm just, uh, just dying. A little bit. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, it's 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 like my, my only thought on this is like I'm not going to deny Hysteria is a great song, but is does it carry with it a bit of like you know is it a bit of a poison chalice because it's so well known? It's a bit kind of like oh yeah, there it is. I'm not I'm not trying to dump on it. It's more like it's Hysteria. Mm. It, it's got the Hysteria syndrome. Well, like lack of a better phrase. I wonder if the way you're describing what you're describing about hysteria is what I feel about time is running out. Because I'll be honest, I've never really bonded with time is running out. Um, I don't know if it's similar for you with hysteria. Um, I'd say you probably no, absolutely. Go on. Well, I, I love hysteria. Yeah. Right? I, it's absolutely. It's an absolute banger. I there's no way I could say I'm bored of hysteria. My point is is because of its success is a little bit of a detriment to it. That's, that's all mm. I'm saying. I'm not trying to take away from the song. I absolutely love it. I play it over and over again, you know, um, both listen to it and like play it. Um, it's, it's, a, it's great. And my point is just that, is it overstated? Yeah, I can see that. I think it's, it's a bit like Plug-In Baby and Supermassive Black Hole in that mm. they're such good songs. They're so iconically Muse that Muse can never not play them now. Um, Apart from when they don't. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> it's pretty rare to not get hysteria or or plug in or or supermassive black hole. Um, no, it's definitely interesting, and I think um, there's evidently a bit of what you're describing around the song purely because of, I'm thinking of the Radio X stuff they did a few years back, where one um, mm. Chris, yeah, talk to me about yeah, that. Chris Walsenholm kind of joked and said, "Oh, I don't like it; it hurts." to play because they were kind of saying how it's just constant for the whole thing um but then they also did like a frequently asked questions thing and one of them was how do you play hysteria by muse which they found hilarious um but they were just taught so it's evidently like i think they're aware as well that it is such an iconic riff song sorry i've got the burps again um <laughs> i've got i've got the burps, the burps. <laughs> i think it still deserves to be regarded regardless of the meme if you see what i mean it's definitely a bit of a meme absolutely um yeah but it's it's uh, absolutely it's great i think it's um i think for any bassist or guitarist listening to this podcast um i would just really recommend you take a moment to uh harry's looking at me through the discord thing being like oh god what is he about to say (laughs) um i would recommend you just take a moment listen to the beginning of the track um and try and really isolate the two bass parts and what i mean by two bass parts is one is evidently like coming through a synth um and hear the difference between that because in that version it's almost like the synth is the pyramid at the top of the pyramid and at the bottom two bases there are the bass overdrive sounds then the second the guitar riff comes in you can actually hear the bass distortion take over and come to a similar level that the synth comes in so if people are trying to get that tone don't worry if it doesn't sound right because you're probably listening to the synth as opposed to the bass line um and obviously you can achieve that if you want and di your bass at the same time as running it through a pedal board and run that through like a synth or something i don't know why the fuck i'm talking about this <laughs> 
I was completely thrown when we said pyramid. I thought, oh my god, what kind of ancient aliens bullshit are you talking about now? Yeah, in the pyramid of tone, man. You've got to make sure you've got the right energies. Um, but no, I just think that's something to... Ancient... Uh, yeah. <laughs> ancient astronaut bassist yeah like do you know this is really reminding me of that clip where matt bellamy is on a radio show and he's pissing himself laughing because he's talking about what he believes in and he's like that there was a an agreement between the u.s government and aliens where they'd give us technology and we'd give them something i can't remember what he says but he's just lost it completely (laughs) that's that's almost where i went to with that level of like weirdness there um only a, you need to take your brain medicine. Yeah, literally. The last thing I'll say about Hysteria before we move on, because I've realised we've been chatting for so long and we're about halfway through the album. But the last thing I'll say about Hysteria, because it is one that everyone kind of knows, is the solo is actually more sophisticated than people kind of give note to. I think it's very clever that it <laughs> okay. starts off with a very rhythmical um, response to the rhythms in the bass, basically. It's ba da 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 as opposed to ba da 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 It's like, it's really reminiscent. But then it changes and it goes super mm. melodic, especially considering at that point, Matt Bellamy was not a solo. He didn't. He said he doesn't like guitar solos. And obviously we've spoken about other solos on this album, but what I was yeah. going to say about that was, so he, was, he says at this time he was not a big guitar solo player and people would be like, but there's guitar solos on this album. So what is he talking about? What I, what I think he means, and I think you can actually, and I was going to bring up earlier when you were talking about drones and stuff, is um, the solos on this album are way more to fit the song. And if they happen to fit into a conventional guitar solo format, i.e. the second part of this solo, that's very guitar solo-ish, if you see what I mean. Um, whereas it, <laughs> It's very yeah, ish. Whereas in later albums, the guitar solos feel more like they are there to be a guitar solo. Um as opposed to mm. this is what the song needs kind of thing. I think that's the real difference between current Muse and old Muse in terms of guitar solos. Um, but yeah, that's all I want to say about Hysteria. The guitar solo is very, 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 very good. Yeah, but that's Hysteria. And then with after Hysteria, we move on to... Thank you very much, Kimiko. We're going to be talking about Blackout. Um, so I'm going to gush over this one a bit. It's what I've written. Um <laughs> I want this song played at my funeral because I think it's um, one of the best. I think it's it's the perfect funeral song in my eyes. Um, I've written as well, it's the first proper time we've had strings feature prominently on a Muse track. Um, they're on the Origin remix slash remaster, so they did have them originally in Origin. Um, and there are yep. some in Aspects of Apocalypse, Please. But this is the first time where they are the main instrumentation of a song. Um, if you if you're running the albums like by, like if you're listening to it sequentially, not like any other, yeah. So you are correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we haven't gotten to butterflies and hurricanes yet. So mm. yeah, just to split hairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I really love this. I think the backing choir of the ooze that are going on. Um, which is probably, I would assume, both Bellamy and Walsenholm at this point. Um, I, I really, it really gives me this old, like, 60s movie kind of soundtrack feel. Like, slightly ethereal orchestral parts, mm. almost. That's the vibe I get. Um, what else was I going to say? Ah, oh, for me, the biggest disappointment of this song only happened because I watched Harp. 
and that is yeah i think you and i are gonna have the same yeah. the same thought on this. i just if, I, if if i'm thinking where you're coming yeah from with this, i yeah. think you're i think you know what i'm about to say which is i wish he'd put the air raid siren into the the album version as opposed to just the distortion fizzing away on my note there's something about mm. the way oh it builds and you've just got that <laughs> And it, but that's the other, I think that's what makes it so good is it's not just an air raid siren that they've whacked into a track. It is him doing it with his fuzz factory and a guitar, and it just leads to the tone that he needs. I love that so much in Harp. I just kind of wish that they did that on the album. But even even then, I still think it's brilliant. And um, yeah, the fact that the solo like just keeps going up and up and up and up. Oh, beautiful! I I do enjoy that 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 the solo just goes up. In terms of, I agree with you on the the um, the, the air raid siren esque type sound because it is just a fuss factory. But in terms of how it was done with on the harp version, the live version, it's like there's so much low end with that oh. to give it that real like grit and grunt with it. But the way that he had the fuss factory wired up in the Delorean industrial disease guitar, whatever we're calling mm. it. It was it was, the the first factory was a lot more higher pitched than that. It wasn't built for that. It was only with the Miramancer when that lower grunty mm. first factory tone came in. Yeah, you probably could have dialed it in like that on the on on his original Mancer, but he clearly never did. It was much more of the. It sounds more like a toy. Mm. That's the only way I've got to describe the first factory in the original guitar. Um, and it's and it's this. It was tuned the same way in Blackhead. It was tuned the same way in the Laser Mancer. When you've heard examples of the Fuzz Factory used on mm. that, it just it, it would have to have dr- dramatically like changed up his approach to guitar playing at that point. Maybe it would have been a good thing if it was done. But I think my point with this, with the fading guitar tone, mm. is yes, it technically could have been done that way. But is it the appropriate solution? Or would it? Do, or do we like the harp version, for lack of a better phrase, because it works in a live circuit, because it's got the atmosphere, because it's got those balloon dances, mm. because it's in um, in Wembley in front of thousands of people? Or does it work on this kind of smaller scale in the studio, being faded in because in the arena that you're in, of listening to it as an album, fading in a guitar sound like that, just to be honest, plays a lot better for the for the audience than a than a weird abstract sound that you can't really quite quantify because you just go, why is there an air raid siren there? Mm. It doesn't make any sense when you, with the context of going, Oh, that's a guitar. Okay. Really changes everything up. Yeah. Like you and I would know hundred percent that it is a guitar, but then for the audience, it might be throwing off. And I think having the guitar fade in, unfortunately is probably the better way to go. I'd have preferred it to be just balls to the wall and be like, yep, get an absolute crazy fuzz factory mm. sound in there. Because, yes, it was in Plugin Baby. Yes, it was in uh, mm. Microcodes. And yes, it was in the Solo Four Citizen Arrays. But the most prominent use of the fuzz factory in the terms of the squealy way is the groove. Yeah. And so it kind of... Sh- it doesn't really... It, I would then argue, really... It doesn't really work in the studio. The Fuzz Factory squealy approach, it, it's way better as a tool live. Mm. What do you think to um, that? I think, I saw what you're saying, but now I actually do think that it would be better if they'd done the air raid siren thing on the recording. Because I get what you're saying about, for audiences' ears, the fade in is quite nice. But 
the way you described it of like, oh, what is the, why is there an air raid siren would work so well because you'd suddenly be like, what? Why the fuck is there an air raid siren? Oh my God, it's just turned into the guitar solo. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, I think that would have been so much yeah. cooler. Um, and it would work with the whole concept of the album of like apocalyptic vibes, absolution, blackout in itself. You could kind of get away with being like, oh, it's like the blackout in the blitz. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but yeah, sorry. I had to, I, when I, when I put that together in my head, I was like, oh, I have to say this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's my only, um, criticism of it because again, lyrically, I think this is a beautiful song. Um, cause it covers, Stunning. I love, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It, it covers, um, it covers something that's quite much. I think this is maybe the first time Matt Bellamy started to mature up a little bit. Like, obviously he's been dealing in origin. He deals with some stuff that's quite mature, i.e. like, um, the concepts of citizen erased. Um, I think what else he does is quite mature. Screen Age is a pretty mature idea. Oh, that's so nuanced, the Screen Age. Yeah. That's so, I think out of all the things that they've ever sung about, I think Screen Age has permeated right through to now. If anything, it's more relevant now. Screen Age is like, oh my God. Oh, yeah. yeah this is just, just going to work for years and years to mm. come. It's really quite fucked up lyrics in that. Um, uh, but but and and this was and this was talking about computers that had dial-up internet yeah. connection speeds. I think he and it's like he knew, like he yeah. knew. Oh boy, did he know? I think uh, oh, now we know. good old conspiracy theories <laughs> pay off in the end. Um, but yeah, no, I just think it's quite a mature way of dealing with the subject matter with the lyrics. Is I've written here. Um, covering ideas of growing old too fast, not taking stock of what's around you, or perhaps taking too much stock. Um, like this idea of when you're young, you don't take enough stock. And then when you're old, all you can do is take stock. And it's this idea of there's never the happy medium. You're either in the, the rat race and, and the, the joys of youth and, and energy. So why the fuck would you think about the stuff that's already happened to you and what the future will be? And then when you're old, you can't be, you're like you physically can't be in the rat race with as much energy as you used to be. So all you've got is your memories of the past and the kind of dark abyss that leads that is in your future. Um, the, the imminent approach. Of yeah, death. basically I think it's a really mature topic. Really? That song. Yeah. What, what, what's the line? I'm too old to dream. Oh, it's, there's a lot of something like, yeah, that. it's, um, because it's basically well the message i take from that is like oh god i'm so old i can't i've got nothing to look forward yeah. to bloody hell that's crippling i've got a little i've oh oh um the only thing why you think about the only thing i've got to really to say about blackout is the fact i just love that it's in three four. Oh yeah it's lovely they yeah they don't they don't often play with time signatures and it's great to see something like this because when they do do something like that, it really stands out. So like Blackout 3-4, Animals 5-4. Um, Microcuts goes from 4-4 four, four to... 6-4. Was it 6-8? 6-4? I think it's 6-4 because it doesn't... It, it, um, it keeps the pulse. It just has six beats yeah. as opposed to four to end that da-dunk. Yeah, that phrase kind of thing. Yes, but yes, but when they do different time signatures, it really sticks out, mm. and I really like that they did that with this. And it, and you know, obviously, the three four is the classic waltz type. Dun, 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 
dun, dun, dun, and it and it works so well for how the the song moves. And if you're going to talk about oh, it's like the blackout and the blitz, and it's like has this old timey vibe yeah. by it being a waltz, basically. It's it's a nice little few little beats that kind of bring it together. Mm. No pun intended. <laughs> but no, I think I think um, the three four feel adds to that, especially because it's slow three four. It's very relaxing and lulls mm. it's almost like how it ah oh, here we go here's one of my good metaphors the three four like tempo uh, sorry time signature of the song and the slow tempo lulls you into a full sense of security just the same way as life lulls you into a full sense of security of like oh it's all right i'm only 25 and then it's all right i'm only 40 sorry right. oh wait i'm 60 now oh oh, oh i'm only yeah, dead like you know what i mean it just gets away from you like oh that's fucking hell, man. This album's so fucking good. Oh, wow. That's such a... Oh, my goodness. That's actually reinvented the song There for you me. go, man. That's all I can do. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. That's so good. It just creeps up on you. And it's, yeah, because it's quite slow. It just makes you think, oh, this is fine. It's still going over oh, at the end. Mm. Wow. And it, it's interesting because you can look at it as, as a metaphor for time where you kind of get into the end of the song where it's still the same tempo, but all this extra noise and sound is in there to represent, I don't know, the accumulated noise of your entire life. Mm. And then it just fades to death. Oh, oh my God, this is so morbid. Oh, I love this, though. this is what I want from this podcast, where we proper deep dive into this kind of shit. Um, I've just got the lyrics <laughs> up, actually, because I wanted to double check. There's, not any, there's nowhere near as many lyrics as I thought there were. So, um... First verse is, don't kid yourself and don't fool yourself. This love's too good to last and I'm too old to dream. Um, don't grow up too fast and don't embrace the past. Oh, see, there we go. It's like, don't grow up too fast because you want to stay holding on to what's happening right now, but don't embrace the past or and don't embrace the past because it's like, well, that's happened now. You've got to stay focused on the moment and keep moving. Um, this life's too good to last and I'm too young to care. Oh, oh. Don't kid yourself and don't fool yourself. This life could be the last and we're too young to see. That line, this life could be the last, I think means, to me anyway, how within one lifetime you can have many different lives. For example, I feel like a completely different person to who I used to be, um, like in 2019, for example. And that person was a completely different person to who I used to be in 2013. Um, That's what I think that line means. as in. Um, so by being a different person in 2019, it's, it's, it's almost like you don't know if this is the last time you're going to reinvent yourself or this is the last time you're going to grow and develop because you could die tomorrow. That's the idea I get from that line. And on that crushing, <laughs> I always seem to cold, bring it down. Don't I? <laughs> cold hard slap of reality, Kimiko, take us away. So we're going to talk about Butterflies Hurricanes. The uh, thing that everyone will be screaming at if they are even indeed listening at this point, or if they've had a little pause, they've come back to it after a cup of tea, or even very much the next day. Welcome back, Hello. all. If you have done that, um, why the hell does the album version not have the guitar version of this oh. song? That's the only thing I'm going to talk about with this because the single version has the guitar version. Mm. Now, I can't understand why that would be a commercial decision. 
in terms of like yeah the album the album version will have a piano but the single version will have a guitar because one it's just it's basically kind of like false advertising but then why is it good enough to put on the single but then not the album and then vice versa mm. yes you could have the argument of matt would be like i w- w- let's have a song that's actually a bit more piano focused there's a lot of a lot of guitar based stuff in on this album why let's let's take it where there's a big massive piano solo in there but we're going to play it live with a guitar um I also, as you all know, we've kind of alluded to it kind of previously, but with time is running out, but you, with record, writing, recording music, there's a lot of time and effort that goes into doing it. You don't just rock up and record the whole song in one mm. go. You can often spend days or, you know, people spend months and years making albums. Guns N' Roses spent 10 years recording Chinese <laughs> Democracy, for example, for all the good that did mm. them. My point is... Why did they record all the guitars, which are amazing production, by the way, I would say. Mm. Huge sound. It's nothing crazy, but it works really well. Why go to all that trouble to then just not pull it on the, not to pull it from the album version? I don't understand. I don't think it's ever been announced as to why that was done. Maybe it is because he just wanted a pia- more of a piano-leaning mm. one. But I can't understand the logic to it because as a song, it's great. It builds up brilliantly well. It's a great piece of prog rock music. Um, thematically you know sharp instrumentation wise for the for the most part outside of the guitar stuff really good solid um performances from dom and chris and then the strings are an absolute genius addition then there and then we've got that uh rack man off style piano solo that he'd been de- been working on since at least 2002 but probably had probably had been working on earlier um you will probably have a lot more to say about the composition of the um piano piece um I have a, in my understanding of it, I'm not a pianist. It does look like it is just going up the up the octaves the same chord. It's got it's more flair than substance. That's I'm gonna I'm gonna just that's my point there, done because I I know I just rant a lot and <laughs> go on massive monologues over this. So yeah, just like why no guitar mm. and yeah, hit me with uh, hit me with your rhythm uh, rhythm point. So my rhythm stick point. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I'm glad you picked up on that. Um, one. <laughs> so in terms of so I just I had a thought just then, um, purely because I saw that the small print is the next track um, on the album. And in regards to mm-hmm. why, why is the guitar not on the album? I wonder if up to Absolution, um, things genuinely were very much um, a democracy between the three guys in the recording studio. I think um, it wouldn't surprise me if the reason why the guitars weren't on the final version is because um, Dom and Chris thought, it would be better without the guitars because also Dom and Chris outvoted Matt Bellamy on Fury and put small print on instead. And I wonder if ever since then, because Matt Bellamy's always kind of regretted the Fury thing. um, Matt Bellamy's taken a bit more of a dictatorial approach in the studio. And why shouldn't he, when he's the main songwriter? Um, so I wonder if that's part of it, because I do agree. I'm like, why would you cut that guitar? Like, some of it's fucking sick. And it's po- possibly some of his, like, dirtiest tones that he's got. From what I remember, it's a really aggressive... It's definitely the diesel VH4 that he's using. It's got such an aggressive, like, um, sound to it. And uh, do you know what? It's been so long since I've actually listened to the guitar version. Does the guitar version actually have the stuff that he did on the harp version where it's got the... 
No. Oh, okay. No, that was a that was that was that tour. They do they circle that riff, and then he just does some playing over the top of it. Um, after after the riff is done, mm. um, it's not it's nothing crazy like that. It's just you know elongating, filling that void, mm. just going. Oh, I know exactly what you mean. It, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that's as good as I could articulate it without getting a guitar. Um, yeah, but I've got the harp version. I actually watched um, the Butterflies and Rickets version uh, harp thing video the other day just by chance, and I was like, "Oh my god, that borderline shredding that he's doing—that's mm. incredible! Like, it sounds great because it's that 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 kind of that kind of melodic playing to mm. it really goes so well over the craziness that the drums are doing." Oh, I love that. I think it works. I don't know how to. I, I, I desper, I'm desperate to try and figure out how to play that bit. Somewhere. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna okay. figure that out at some point because I've started to get into shredding a little bit. It's quite fun. In terms of the piano solo, um, I think it's great. Um, it's completely. Well, it's Rachmaninoff, but it's also. I tell you, I wish I had my piano on. Um, but the the first bit, the thing is very Rachmaninoff-y in terms of the chord choices and the harmonic movement. Um, but then when it go, does go into the big arpeggio section with the strings as well, it's kind of a mixture between Berlioz and Mahler um, in terms of sound. I couldn't think of the right word there. Um, <laughs> but you're right, it is pretty simple. It literally goes between a D major chord and I guess... Um, you could call it a C minus six. Actually, wait. Let me just double check because I maybe. Yeah, no. It's it's a, like a C minus six, or you could argue it's a um a diminished chord without the seventh in. Um, ah, of course. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, it's like uh, depending on your outlook on life. No. Um, but they do throw in the um. Was that a was that a Bill Bailey? Reference. Yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, you know. <laughs> yes. I. When you know, you know. Yeah, boy. Um, but it does. There is a moment where it uses. I like to call it the "I will survive" chord, and it throws in um, a D sharp or an E flat um, into the D major chord. So it gives it this really very. Um, it's basically playing on the Phrygian dominant scale, I think, which is the same scale he uses in Break It To Me and several other songs. I think it's the same scale he uses for Kill or Be Killed as well, um, where mm. it's like a harmonic minor scale, but instead of it being the sharp seven, you've actually got like a flat two in the scale. I don't know if you know what I mean by that at all. but I know roughly what you mean. <laughs> it's um, more of an Egyptian I, sound not- than an Arabian sound. Yeah, yeah, that's... Oh, that's, uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, wait, mm. Arabian is very similar to Egyptian. Wait. Uh, oh, that's so, oh, it's so woke. I know. So, well, never mind. So accepting, of other, so accepting of other cultures. Yeah, people know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I really yeah. love that. The, the harmonic minor strings that come in, there's a bit where it's like... Um, there's like a, there's a certain choice of notes and i'm like oh this is lawrence of arabia i'm here um <laughs> it's brilliant um the only other thing i'll say about this song is um there is some symbology um involved in the title um butterflies can be seen to represent souls and obviously hurricanes represent chaos um so i think it's quite it's it's kind of commenting on this idea of people's souls are kind of in the balance you you have to be the best 
version of yourself because it's chaos out there and actually there's something about pandora's box as well in regards to butterflies and hurricanes and the imagery of souls and chaos there's def- there's something and i can't quite remember what the link is but there definitely is a link between Pandora's box and the idea of butterflies and hurricanes, but I can't... Someone in the comments maybe will know what I'm on about. Butterflies and hurricanes, what a track. Maybe you need to take your brain medicine again. Yeah, what, yeah what a track. <laughs> amazing, amazing prog rock song. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, it, I mean yeah, I think when they had that... I mean, just to tail that off, I mean, they had that kind of by request show or that vote show where they, it was like either Butterflies and Hurricanes or uh, Citizen Erased as like, which prog rock song should we play? And it was like, oh yeah, it's a good way to kind of like... Put it like that, yeah. Play both. <laughs> <laughs> do a flip. Um, but yeah, it's it's good. It's good to think of that. I mean, one just hammers home that yeah, they do span multiple genres seemingly effortlessly. Mm. And speaking of going from one genre to the next seemingly effortlessly, Kimiko takes away. Small print. Thank you, Kimiko. Thank you for that. So for the. The, the non-Japanese speakers among us, uh, Matt, what did Kimiko just uh, say? Kimiko just said that she wants to invade the world and um, take over all of our consciousnesses. No, she said uh, The Small Print, which is the next track on the album. Um, I think this is probably their most aggressive balls to the wall. It's almost like punk. Some of it's got a little bit of punk energy because it's just... It's got that snare drum groove, the cat and cat and cat and cat and kind of thing going on for like time it's uh the riff itself is really quite agitated and punky it's literally which is like almost annoying like in itself um <laughs> but uh i think what what makes this song so good is there's little intricacies here and there one thing that really sticks out to me is the verse guitar part and i don't know if it's because um i've seen the making of video and he's playing it on the laser manson which is my favorite manson or if it just sticks out on the track anyway but what's nice is it it sounds like at first oh it's just quaver octaves whatever it's not when he gets towards the end because he starts to this crazy thing where it starts to become more oh well 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 part and then there's a little bit well, yeah. where it kind of becomes like gab 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 like he's doing like a double double rhythm on the root and then the octave is just like a gap kind of thing um i don't know if that's actually happening in there or if it's just the impression of it happening but i really like that i think there's something in that because i think when you've when it's when you see it play live or maybe at least a couple of live versions or even in the making of you can see that he's either just playing it as a straight octave where it's just like strumming up and mm. down or he's actually kind of bouncing off the octave there is there is an element of that i think he was just playing around with the performance of the song because as, as a piece of music, as a composition, it's very, very simplistic mm. in terms of it is just a scale going up and the bass is kind of mirroring that same sort of thing, but in a bass way, it just gives you that platform to, you know, play around with this. It's not a fat lot to play with, but you got that scope to get in there and playing up with the, uh, the, 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 the picking pattern or like the, the way that you're playing the, the guitar in there is actually, you know, a lot to kind of to play around with. It's a lot of fun. Because it's so different mm. to, to the rest of the to the rest of the songs that we've had so far, um, it, it is like, I think one of their most kind of like metally non-metal kind of songs that they've got, mm. and I think to play around with that is is great, and it's definitely in there. It's not in your head. It's not it, you are not crazy, Matthew. Thank God, thank God. <laughs> That's what the voices tell me all the time, but I never know whether to believe them or not. Um, 
good now now kill everyone um but yeah no uh you're right as in like this is their most metal one that's not metal if you see what i mean because i've written in the cue sheet this is the most metal chorus they've had until kill or be killed and won't stand down um because it is the only other thing i can think of off the top of my head that does something similar is the choruses in undisclosed no in unnatural selection um with the band but even then that's not really metal it's quite a cleanish guitar tone on that it's not pushing the metal vibe we've spoken at nauseum about the resistance yeah. and i think we need to rehash that conversation um yeah i think i think oh, the closest thing for the the unnatural selection bit there is that it's just a bit of palm muting on a bit of a driven amp but like the small print just pushes that envelope so much further and it could have gone it could have gone so much more further mm. because that's that's good english um <laughs> well i feel like it um it, it hits that heaviness i think it's i think it's the big day out live version i'm not too sure but there's one version where i will they- I think you might be. You know, you're thinking of Rock and Ring. Big day out was thoughts of a dying atheist. Uh, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, um, there's a live version they do where it sounds fucking huge in that chorus. Um, but also interesting that Chris does the lead vocals on that. Oh, you know, ah, uh, ah, uh, uh, oh, uh, he's in a big. He's in a white jacket. Is the one I'm thinking of. Oh, that. Oh, that. Yeah, that's um, Pink Pop. That's the one. Yeah, that sounds right. That's so dumb that I know that. It's like hardcore muse fanery, isn't it? Like- <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think my, my two favourite versions of, of Small Print Live are the Rock M Ring version and the Earl's Court version. Oh, I'll have to br- brush up on those two. I'm not too sure with those two. Earl's Court one's, one's good. Oh yeah, Earl's Court's pretty fucking big. Yeah, well he, he brought out that Ibanez Just, Iceman oh, yeah. and absolutely dent- trashed it no destroy it nice man um my thoughts for the small print are it's such a refreshing song for the considering the songs that we've had previously on the album at this point looking particularly at butterflies and hurricanes which is a very kind of like you know the thinking man's rock song mm. it's very complex melodies and rhythms and harmonies going on there um blackout is you know much more of that you know we've got a waltz kind of thing going on there we've got low tempo we've got um kind of low energy but kind of like relentless a small print is the the mirror image of that. It's got raw energy. It's got loads of raw energy. It is relentless, but in a different way. And it's in its very you know four to the floor like the kind of approach in terms of like that. Just it is very much just a guitar, drums, bass, vocal thing approach. Let's just go crazy, push that as far as we can. Double up some tracks, double up some vocals, double up some everything. And it just works so effortlessly from like in the album because it's tying it all together. It's got that great through line. The only thing that I'd probably want to say about it is that it definitely needs to be brought back someday, mm. and it needs to be brought back half a step down. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. It's it's like the perfect song. It would work so well with Will of the People, Oh, I think. yeah, man. Oh, I'm just thinking about how sick that would sound. Like Even with, maybe even with some sort of, like, Will of the People type kind of synths that they're using, just to kind of thicken it up, get Lancaster, whatever his name is, mm. doubling up with some guitars or have some big, like, world-ending, like, massive, like, low, gritty synth. And, you know, when... Oh, the, the last bit I'll say on this, you know, when uh, oh, for the uh, on the Absolution tour, we had Chris doing the, the vocals going that... Say... Mm-hmm. That bit. But 
all three of them. Oh. So we've got Lancaster, we've got Chris and Matt all unifying in that big vocal chorusy That'd bit. Awesome. And with Lancaster on some sort of like vocoder bit, so it sounds truly mm-hmm. huge. Yeah. That is my that's my big request. That's all I'm gonna say for this, because I think the small print is a perfect song. Yeah, I I would like them to bring it back, man. I think it would sound fucking insane with their I almost wish they'd brought it back as like a, in the metal medley for simulation theory, but oh well. But short and sweet for the small print for me is perfect. It's so perfectly done because it's so different mm. from the rest of the album. The guitar solo is weird in it. I call it a guitar solo. It doesn't. It's not really a guitar solo, is there? It's more like. Or am I just scra- scratching? Yeah. I tell you what does annoy me is I get very conf- in my head. I can hear the thoughts of a dying atheist solo in the small print for some reason, so I get confused. I'm like, oh yeah, there's a solo in the small print, but not in Thoughts of a Dying Atheist. I'm like, oh no, wait, it's the other way around. Wait, hang on. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see I can see why you conflate the two. Mm. What Absolution has got this is this kind of like interchangeability of songs. Mm. Or that these songs are related. So you've got the small print and, thought, and Thoughts of a Dying Atheist are the, are the related songs. Like, in set lists, they were swapped out for each other. Ah, interesting. That sort of approach. And then you've got Apocalypse, Please kind of at least for like the festival shows was kind of you know very much doubled up with kind of like you know ruled by secrecy and you've got the trio of times running out stockholm syndrome and hysteria mm. they were they were plastered all over the uh, the promotion circuit when they do gigs they, they'd go on tv shows or whatever and they play those songs or whatever like a lot of a lot of muse albums especially early on in the era a lot of them seemingly were just paired up it's like cave and philip seems like they're just like they're like the pairing I guess it's not a brilliant and uh, brilliant kind of metaphor to use, but like, yeah, Absolution to me just has oh god, yeah, all these songs they're kind of bunched together or grouped together, and they play off each other so mm. well. But I think the Small Print and Thoughts of Dying Atheist are, are kind of the big culprits of mm. this because they're so they seemingly so related and they sound so different, but they you just like yeah, they're like best friends. Yeah, you can treat yourself in they've got a similar energy to them. I think Fury Fury is a very very interesting one because it was brought in in two thousand two, almost exactly the same as it would appear later on the album. Apart from the riff, um, was a little bit different. Kind of comes out of nowhere. It's like if you look at Origin of Symmetry in terms of the composition, it's not like the rest of the album at all. Mm. It, I, it's, it's not even like the songs on Absolution. I know I've just said that all the songs are all different, but it, it, it's weird. It doesn't feel like it belongs. It fits more. It fits more with Dead Star and In Your World to me. Yes, and that maybe maybe that's what in, inspired Dom and Chris to not want to have it on the album mm. because it was so far removed. That's entirely. I possible. mean, it's interesting to say that because that. Because at that point, the small print was a song that they had. Eternally Missed was a song that they had. Hysteria was half a song that they had. Mm. Apocalypse Please was a song that they had. There was a song, there was the a show in France in 2002 that they played, and they played all these songs. They played the small print, they played Apocalypse mm. Please, they played um, Fury, and it's like, bloody hell, like all these like unreleased songs. And it's like, you can see, like, hear the workings of it coming together. And they really honed Fury in the studio, really kind of came through with it. Some of the sounds on there, especially the bass, sounds very hot, sounds a bit too uncontrolled. But I think more as like a positive in terms of it sounds like, you know, volatile. Mm, kind of to me, the sorry, to me, the bass kind of sounds like you're sitting next to the cab, like as they're recording it. Like it's so that, yeah. direct that you're like, oh my God. That's... Like, <laughs> 
that's that's the mm. point I mean. It sounds either like it was deliberately done or the mix wasn't finished mm. because of that, because it's sort of like an approach. Again, when you consider the rest of the album sonically, it none of the other songs bass-wise have that such a raw approach where it does where it kind of feels like you are sat in the practice room mm. with them because that bass is so uncontrolled and relentless um in terms of the rest of the production i've not really got much else to say i mean that there is footage of them when they were recording it um uh it, which it was fine they didn't really go into think go into detail about how that was all done uh, in, but in terms of how it is as a finished product, I love the way that it moves. The guitar just moves seamlessly over and over throughout the as the song goes, mm. and, you, and the use of the whammy is brilliant. The whammy is used on the entire song, either pitching between harmony octave up or down. Brilliant, uh, brilliant use of delay on there, and those um, overdub vocals in the choruses oh, that are very subtle. Yeah. Oh my god, that I think that's the best bit about Fury because again, because of what I said earlier, going way back. Hours ago, <laughs> when we were talking about like apocalypse, apocalypse please, and the uh, sing for absolution. Mm. You've got those subtle production qualities that the old average audience member won't listen to, won't hear. Mm. But if you dial it in, and you go, "Oh, this is whole thing that they did not have to put in, but it's in there, and it's so thick sounding because they've overdubbed and it's mm. so brilliantly like recorded. It's added a whole dimension to it, and it's not even like trying to pull focus." It's a stunning song, kind of lies to why Fury is in my easily in my top ten. I think it's it's a brilliant example of pedals and how much fun they can mm. be, um, because there's such a combination of effects going on just for the the like that whole effect, because it's not just an octave up, uh, an octave up. It's a whole harmony thing. He's got a ping pong delay going on, so it's got that kind of as you move the the whammy position, you get the you hear the notes change, but because of the ping pong delay, it creates this like ripping kind of sound that's like the notes are ripping down, which is such a cool sound. I think lyrically it's quite interesting. There's again, there's some really good lyrics like um we'll pray that there's no God to punish us and make a fuss. Uh, that's just interesting, isn't it? Like who are you praying to if there's no god like um uh it's it's uh yeah it's um oh i can't think of the word but it, it's it's like a good kind of sort of like juxtaposition mm, in a way i guess mm. of like or like a, a oh, i can't think of the word for it but it's good that kind of contrast yeah yeah and i think um it works as well because the riff is so angry and it well, it makes it so furious, if you will. <laughs> oh, 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 I'm I might just might. <laughs> um, but it's uh, yeah, I think it's brilliant. Um, I I put on my cue sheet. Can you hear single coils on the riff? Because I've got a funny oh. feeling. Um, he probably used the Fender Aloha Strat if he still had it when they recorded this song. The reason I say that is because the on the bow 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 bow, it's like there's this um percussive element to the attack of the guitar that in my head i associate with single coil pickups i don't know if you've ever heard right. that and noticed that before i haven't could be p90s I as well i thought it was just well it could be p90s i thought it was just like done on the um on the delorean which is well, it has a p90 but then it was also like the um the the kent armstrong motherbucker mm mm I, but... I, I don't know. I don't know, but 
who is to say it's really hard to kind of like clamp down on some of the tones that he, that he was kind of using because they were so like you know overly kind of like overly engineered with other like effects and so on like completely disguise the type of sound that it had i wouldn't possibly want to comment on it okay yeah yeah yeah. it's um it's a weird one if anyone does know i wonder if um Mm. if anyone from manson's is listening they might know or if anyone who's been following muse since like way back when they might know um but yeah it's one of those things about that track that's like hmm interesting i wonder or or Matt Bellamy, because you're listening, because of course oh, you're yeah, listening, course. just tell us if you if you can remember that far back. Let's ignore all let's ignore all the interviews you've ever done where you clearly don't know what song of yours is on what album. Yeah, and Dom has had to correct you every single time. He's be like, you thought Soldier's poem was on Absolution. He's going to be like, uh, he'll be like, no, no, I didn't use single chords. I used the uh, the glitterati on that song. We'll be like, you didn't even have that guitar back then. If you go, oh. Oh, I don't know then. <laughs> I don't know. I used a piano. What? <laughs> Imagine you'd be like, "What?" <laughs> well, that's fury for you, I guess. Like, um, well, that's that 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 is fury for you. Um, the uh, yeah, it's it's great. Cracker, absolute fan favorite for an absolute fucking reason because it's an absolute banger. Mm, yeah, it's huge. I think, I think, I think it's probably might be true to say that everyone likes it for maybe different reasons. Yeah, I'd say so. Because there's so much there. There is so much there mm. to really grav- to gravitate onto. I think it hit, it's probably um, one of the quintessential Muse songs because of the textures and the sounds and everything. But yeah, moving on from Fury. W- would agree. Would agree. Would agree 100%. Yeah, moving on from Fury um, to uh, to a song where I had the whole thing set up and it was um, it was ruined <laughs> because I forgot we were going to put Fury there. Mm. Kimiko's really upset that you forgot. Yeah, or as, yeah, I was going to say endlessly, or as Kimiko would say, endlessly. Right, there are two things we need to talk about with this. One, the weird cover that this woman made years and years and years ago. I'm sure she made it. This isn't a fever dream I had, and it was awful, <laughs> just because it was like so generic, like pop, and this was like this old woman that kind of sang this song. Weird. I think just because it's it sounds nice and romantic because it says "I'll love you endlessly." It's <clears> like, <throat> oh, okay, we'll put you in front of a wind machine on top of a a building in Detroit or. Chicago or somewhere. Oh, you, the, literally, you've just said that, and now I'm getting like weird flashbacks to this. Maybe I've seen this as well. Is this like oh. old blonde woman, right, in like a blue jacket? Uh, yeah. Have you? Is it sort of it's, ringing it's some bringing sort of back bell? like yep. dark memories? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I mean, you just go, oh, Muse covers endlessly. Okay, that's interesting. That's a lesser well-known song. You get this, and you watch it and go, this is weird. Oh, I've just tried to look for it now, and I couldn't find it. I need to do a deep dive on the internet and go in. Actually, there are three things to talk about. Um. Second point, the Ewan McGregor version. I was gonna say that. Yeah, you fuck. Yeah, go on. <laughs> it's just great. He's like, you know, I'm I'm here recording the long way down. I'm just gonna get a guitar. Oh, I've, I found this guitar. It's really nice. And then Ewan McGregor acts himself as a Muse mm. fan. I like to think that's what Obi Wan Kenobi would sing to Anakin. Well, when when they fell into that nest of Gundam. No, no, no. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> 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 no, I would think it's Sorry. great. It's like what Obi Wan can. It should have been you and McGregor singing endlessly. Should have been the song attached to uh, the Kenobi series. Like it would have been brilliant. <laughs> yeah, you were my brother, Anakin. I loved you endlessly, <laughs> but I won't give you up. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> all right, Rick Astley. Never gonna give um, you then- up. Anyway, um- <laughs> and then the last bit. Mm. The last bit is. Um, that I've got to talk about this is, um, did it have the right sound or feel 
for a live version. There's the show from Finland in 2003, pretty early on in the mm. tour. I believe maybe it may have been one of the earliest in the tour. And the whole show, was, it was a fairly small kind of venue, maybe about a thousand capacity, absolute tops. Because the stage sounds really dead, like v- reverb wise sounds really dead. So it's, uh, the venue sounds really mm. small. Sounds like a club. And it, it really kind of affects a lot of the songs. Like, it doesn't really have a lot of the drive, or, like, it just sounds like everything, everything's clipping. Like, Apocalypse Please sounds really weird. But then he plays endlessly. And because it's a very minimalist song at the beginning, it's just that piano and vocal. Mm. And in this really small club, it's the song sounds tiny, and it doesn't sound right at all. And it sounds really small for, like, the thing that kind of, like, as it goes up and as the song progresses and so on, you know, you can put reverb on a live, sh- on a live show and it sound- and it'll sound okay. Fast forward to um, the release of the Absolution Tour DVD and they've got that special bonus of Endlessly from Wembley Arena. I think it was Wembley mm. Arena. That, that version, because they've also then, they've got the, the LA version, the, LA, the, the show from LA where they played Fury. And also the groove as well. So there's a few bonus like live songs mm. on the, uh, songs on there. Endlessly's on there, and I'm like, okay, right, we're now to a you know an arena, a decent size. Mm. And again, the sound doesn't quite fit the the vibe of the song. And my question really is, or my statement might really be, is that endlessly is really quite hard to quantify mm. as a song. On the in the studio, it works great because in a studio you've got infinite ability to approach the song to make it work and make it sound mm. in a way that's going to work. Live though, because it's so small, you want you definitely want some reverb there at the beginning to give it that kind of like the small atmosphere, not dirt dry like that Finnish show. But the arena is too big to kind of give it that platform it needs. And I would say, as a as a song, it is difficult to use. Yeah, maybe why it kind of dropped off set lists fairly early. Mm. That's the only thing I really got to say to it. As a song, I really like endlessly. The verses are great. They're, that reversed drum thing that they've got going on was a stroke of genius. Mm. The contrast between the verses and the choruses are great. The chords, the chords to consider the choruses are really good. The way that the that it that it, it moves like it's not doing it's not clever, but it's just it's it moves quite rigid, uh, not rigidly, but quite uniformly. And when it goes to that kind of piano break again, it's not going to this huge organ solo. It's got it got it's got a lot of restraint to it that makes you kind of question your whole entire outlook on life. It's a fantastic song, and the only thing the, the disservice it has is that it's really difficult to put in a venue that's going to work for it, is, is my only thought. Mm. I think if they were to ever bring it back, they'd have to really look at the arrangement, and I think they'd have to change it to be a song where Matt Bellamy is just singing on a mic and comes to a piano to do the organ solo and then goes back to a mic. And I think they should change the electric piano sound to be more of like a weird synth sound that's a bit more aggressive. That's the only way I could think they could bring it back today easily. Um, but it's a weird one, like because I really quite like it as a song. There's a lot of stuff going on in the instrumentation. Um, mm. I really quite like that swelling synth sound or whatever the notes are that it's doing um i'd love to know what that was what they used to create that sound um i would actually argue i kind of want the brutal church organ sound that he used live in the recorded version 
I know that this where that solo comes in, it kind of drops and then sets up the full instrumentation last chorus. But I still think it would have worked more and given the song just a little bit more edge, maybe. Um, it's, it feels a bit like an enigma of a song, really. And maybe it's because yeah, it's... Yeah, this is the sort of yeah. thing I was trying to like get to. It just, it's, it's weird. Like, there it is in, on the, the, record, the record. But it's just like... It, 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 you can barely believe it exists because when you take it out of that, mm. it sort of falls apart. As though it's like it's in its own little pocket universe where there it works, there it makes sense. Mm. Outside of it, it's like, oh, it's, it's a different beast. Yeah, it's like, to me, it really kind of reminds me of like weird 90s lounge music that you would get from an artist that maybe had one pop song and then their album is actually full of really weird, jazzy, like, cafe vibes. Um, oh, so, so not, not R&B then? No, which is weird because I'm sure, like, I wrote in the Q sheet, and I don't know if I am conflating it with Undisclosed Desires, but I'm sure they were saying that, that they were like, oh, it's like an R&B Timberland song. And I'm like, what? Like, is it? <laughs> Matt, what are you smoking? In it, I'm like... Can I have some? Oh, yes, please. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> it just kind of doesn't, I don't know... I like the song, but I just think it's a bit weird. Like it doesn't. I yeah, I agree. It it it's a great song, but it is weird. Mm. But not in a bad way. It's just uh, like I said, an unquantifiable way. I cannot put my finger on how it works. Mm. It does. It's like it's kind of like it's maybe it's one of their most lightning in a bottle songs, which is kind of sad because it's not a single. It never went anywhere. No one goes oh endlessly that Muse song. Yeah, I almost think it because it stra- straddles this weird line between funk, jazz, like Americana almost. Um, I don't get I don't get that vibe. Well, it, it's like the whole rhythm and even the chord choice f- to me really makes me f- think of like Latin America for some reason. I really don't know why. Um, I think that might be the long way down. That's why you're thinking of that. I don't know, man. I think it's... Because they were in South America. Uh, <laughs> that might be part of it. Maybe it's the... I think I know what it is. The whole... To me, kind of is reminiscent of a tango in my head. Ooh. Like... It's not Ooh. rhythmically similar at all, but in my head I'm thinking of the classic tango, like, that kind of thing. To me, the whole is like an extension of that idea. I don't know if, if it is completely from Long Way Down or if it is more to... I think there's more to it than just that association. But I would, I would imagine so. I'm, I was being a bit kind of yeah, but it's it's weird, and and maybe it's the the, the solo. I I feel like with endlessly, what I'd need to do is learn it properly on piano, and then I'd be able to kind of identify chords and patterns and be able to go, oh, that's what it is that I'm hearing that's making me think this kind of thing. Yeah, it's a tricky one because all I've got is like yeah, in terms of for for playing it from my end, I mean. All I've got is like I just do it on guitar, and it's just like I I treat it as more of trying to just play it on guitar, where I try and find effects or sounds or ways of playing that make it work. Mm. I'm just like because I'm in partly in my head, I've kind of ruined it, where it's just like right. I look at this sometimes as like how I would approach this as a a guitar song, 
like I said, difficult to quantify, but in a in a good way because it's just so interesting and mm. it's it's not a single. It was never a massive song that that took over the world. It's kind of it's kind of a secret, like only the true fans know. Yeah, and it's um, I think what partly why I'm uh, weird about it is because it's so weird. I think my initial reaction is to go, oh, I don't like it. But I do like it, and I think that's the battle I'm having with myself over it, which is why I feel so conflicted. Oh, really? I don't know. I don't feel conflicted at all. I know I like the song. Because, mm. it's again, it's so different. It's got such a weird vibe. But it, because I, it's just that I can't quite get a feel for it. Mm. I can't. It's like I don't understand you. Yeah, literally. And it's like I want to understand it, though. And that's the battle I'm having. Yeah, but it's like... such a mystery. But I like that. I like that not knowing. This is such a weird thought to have. I don't understand this song. It's like, but you can listen to it. Yeah, mm. but I don't understand it. Mm. But how long have you been listening to it? For almost 20 years. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I think that's. Um, I think we've endlessly talked about it endlessly now. Um, we have talked about it endlessly. So, we, could, we have to weirdly we have we ironically we've talked about it a lot i think if we talk it anymore we're going to start dying yeah so let's let's move on to um what would happen when you do die um when we do die your thoughts um well i'm not an atheist so kimiko ah thank you okay, well <laughs> well, I, well i am well i am an atheist so i will talk about thoughts of a dying atheist mm, hit me um i love the chord sequence in this it's um again as a guitarist i'll just like look at this as a, as a, as, a, as i would a guitar um just a bunch of short chords played in quick succession really fast paced they're seemingly well thought out but because of the way that they're played it's kind of like treated like an afterthought in terms of the the playing of it mm. obviously it's not how it was done it was written but they flow so well it's so aggressive it really lends itself to just being like go 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 um and the the way that they're structured, I don't know the kind of more like the the technical compositional side of it, but they flow so well, really stands out, real great energy to it. Again, it kind of feels related to the small print because they're both fast paced songs, but in a different approach. Obviously, Thoughts of a Dying Atheist is a lot more stripped back, not ag- not as aggressive, but it still has that raw energy. I absolutely love that and adore that. Mm. Um, and it's it's great. It's a fantastic song. Um. Fun fact is, you know, it uses a capo uh, a yeah. for, a, for a Muse song. I can't Talk think of a, a single other Muse song that uses a capo. On, in studio or live? Uh, studio. Because of studio, yeah, studio. Um, yeah, studio, there's nothing. In terms of live, there was Sing for Absolution and, and Intended. Mm. But in terms of... And... Ah! Uh, uh, oh, right, no, actually, it could that could... I was going to say Shine, but as that's never been played live... Ah, uh, yeah, um, yes. There's no way of knowing because I've seen tabs for it on a cap with a cap on the third fret or without. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, and quite an unusual use of capo as well. That high up, that's mm. insane. Mm. The only the only other song where I know there's a capo that high up, or even higher is Radiohead's "No Surprises," which is on like the fifteenth fret or something. Stupid. Yeah, it's like I'm gonna just take away most of my guitar. Um, yeah. No, I quite, I really quite like this song. I think there's something to be said for um, the use of a choir or choral part in the choruses because it really kind of fits this like contrast of like, um, well, atheism versus theism. 
because I think no matter what you do, a choir type part will always bring up connotations of like religious music, if you see what I mean. Um, so I think there's that, it, it's almost like, I don't know, this is just my perspective of it, but in the choruses, um, the, the image that I get is the, the choir parts of the, or whatever the parts are, um, is almost like the angels of heaven singing and almost in a mocking way of like someone who doesn't believe and they're going to die kind of thing. Uh, it's it's the duality. Yeah. It's the duality. I think, because I think the, the, the impression I get from the song, um, and it's totally okay if this is wrong and if people have different impressions, but the impression I get from the song is of, um, someone who is convinced that they're an atheist convinced that there's nothing outside of you're born, you live, you die. And the world and the universe around them is kind of mocking them throughout this song. It's kind of like, oh yeah, you're scared. Well, we're going to sing in the background kind of thing. It's a weird one. I quite like that idea, but I totally get that that's just my perspective. And it probably isn't that because it's about atheism, etc. Well, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a, I think it's a perfectly valid thought to have. I mean, like a lot of people say, well, people, when they, people write a song, they go, I've written this song like this because this is what I think. But then songs are so open to interpretation. Mm. Um, uh, the song that I thought of was pr- completely inappropriate to use as a metaphor. So moving swiftly on. Um, uh, so it, it's so yeah, you're absolutely valid to have those those thoughts and views on 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 that. In the same way that my views of thoughts of a dying atheist is, y- y- yeah, there's lyrical content in there which kind of does um, reference religion, but is it more of like to challenge? religion's existence and kind of deny it deny it's the legitimate thing because you know me personally as an atheist i don't believe in any of that nonsense Mm. in the same way it's absolutely fine to believe in it Mm. um believe in what you want to believe in but just don't hurt other people Mm. i think (laughs) uh... a novel concept in 2022 um but um i I think the the phrase in the song scares the hell out of me Mm. Is quite a poignant one. Mm. You know, these, the use of the word hell, you know, it maybe it's, it's clearly used there deliberately. Maybe it's kind of saying people, as an atheist, you know, I think this, but then there is, I genuinely believe that humans are kind of like coded to kind of believe in some sort of higher power. Because in the early stages of life, all we have are our parents or people to look after us and we see them as like, you know, the higher power. And as you grow up, you still want to believe in that higher power. And, mm. you know, people call God father as like an actual father mm, figure mm. i think that's that's what it is uh, again i'm just kind of saying i just think religion is absolutely bogus and people just have parent complexes but yeah, i think there's a lot i of think that. that's and that's what it is people just want people just naturally have some sort of like belief in that they want to believe in some sort of higher power because it brings comfort mm. and at the end of your life you're scrambling to find some sort of comfort wherever mm. you can that's what this song says to me. Someone thought of a dying atheist. You want to believe that there's going to be either some point to it mm. or something beyond it. Yeah, I think I just got the lyrics up because I kind of wanted to just double check with some of the ideas that I had. Um, I think it could easily be what you said as like someone who is an atheist, but is wrestling with that concept at the end of their life. And it's like, well, if I am right, then this is really the end kind of thing. Like I'm about to die and that's it. Or I think it's like, uh, what was the line? Um, 
So I know you're in this room. I'm sure I heard you sigh. Um, to me, there's two meanings to that. It could either be he knows that one of his family members is in the room, but he's like so past. I envisage this being on someone's hospital bed, basically, like this song. Um, okay. Um, I envisage like him being aware that there's someone that he knows who is in the room because he heard them sigh, but he's so near death that he can't quite see them or talk to them. Um, floating in between where our worlds collide. Yeah, he's like, he's floating between life and death and he can't quite communicate with the person that's still in the world of the living that he knows is there, but he can't quite, he can't quite be sure. But the other message, the other meaning that I take from that is actually an angel. Um, and maybe he's coming to terms with maybe I was wrong or maybe there is something more. And actually that's more frightening than this just being the end. Do you see what I mean? I see what you mean. At this point, I would like to uh, bring up the Bible's depiction of what an angel looks like, mm. which is actually some sort of hideous ring monster covered oh, in a thousand eyes. I love it. I love it. And and everyone seems everyone always well religious people always seem to go oh no it's like it's, it's like a man but with wings like no nah. in the Bible it's a it's it's a ring covered in eyes. That's why they always say be not afraid because they know they look terrifying. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's, I love I love biblically accurate angels, um, and I think it's entirely possible that could be what this atheist is seeing in the in the room because it scares the hell out of him um, because it's an angel and there would be no hell in an angel, so he's going up to heaven. Um, <laughs> I'm just like fucking with words now because I quite like. I think the first verse could be considered there is an afterlife. The second verse is is there definitely isn't. I think just through the lyrical content. I think it's really interesting. But the, yeah, I think that that line on the last verse is you look know, through look a faithless through a eye. Faithless eye. Yeah, we mm. had the, the exact same thought, right? Mm. Yeah, that's what it is. It's it's challenging that being that they are sensing in that room to look through their own eye because they're the dying atheist. Oh, I've just come up with like a proper like red pill conspiracy idea. So. And this might lead into Rule by Secrecy and some of the other ideas on other albums. This idea of um, the elite, the Illuminati, whatever you want to call them, controlling things. I'm thinking, I'm drawing parallels to the line in Black Holes and Revelations. Um, I choose to hide from the all-seeing eye. What if this faithless eye is actually referencing the faithless um, way that the global elite want to run people? Um, without a god other than money um and what if it's that perspective if it's like oh if you lead your life the way the global elite want you to where it's like completely reliant on the state um money is your god not love or or other people or, or the universe or whatever then you will die as an atheist and it's terrifying because there's nothing afterwards that's possibly a perspective, but I can tell that I'm just ranting random ideas now. With with through the looking Ooh. glass, people. Maybe yeah. we should move on. Kimiko. Ruled by secrecy. Thank you very much, Kimiko. I wrote in the cue sheet, this is Matt's biggest red pill conspiracy moment of the album. Um, right. I really love the weird, rapid tremolo effect that's on the voice. Um, kind of adds to this whole, like just eerie sort of nature um i'm just i think i'm just going to read what i put in the cue sheet because there's some genuine like good writing i think or good ways of putting what i mean so 
I said, the arpeggios that continue throughout the verse and chorus are almost like word painting, but for the message of the song. The never-ceasing cogs of society churning another life into a dull, drone-like worker. It could also represent the concept of how fucked the system is. We all know it's fucked, and yet we all, let the con- we all continue to let the cogs turn. Um, which I think is what the song's kind of about. It's ruled by secrecy. It's like repress and restrain, feel the pressure, etc. Um, wash the blood off your hands. Like It's all very much like... Just keep going with the motions. We know it's fucked. You know it's fucked. They know it's fucked. Um, but just keep going. Um, and it also, just that, the repetitive, like, it's sinister in a way that it's like, yeah, it's going to keep going, man. You can't stop it. And the one bit where it does um, stop is the piano solo. The ba ba bum 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 ba ba bum 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 um, it's that's like the chaotic moment where it's like, is this a revolution? Is this someone breaking out of their systematic oppression? Is this um, people waking up? And then it ends back in the arpeggios. It's like, oh, that might have been an uprising, but the system will always win and continue the cogs and continue the turning of society into the way that it wants it to be kind of thing. That's the impression I get from the song. Only other thing I'd say is... The I think the piano solo in this song is better than in Butterflies and Hurricanes. Oh, hot take, spicy yeah. boy, spicy boy. I would I would completely agree. I think because I said earlier, I think and and I think you confirmed the, that the the piano solo in Butterflies is actually just a bit more flair over actual like sophistication. Definitely. Um, uh, not to say that it, I'm not saying mm. that it's not hard. It is a hard thing to play because you're going up the keys, but in terms of like, it's not. It might just even just be like two or three chords that's just going up and down or whatever. I'm not a pianist, so I don't know. I, as a musician, as a guitarist, I, I'm not impressed by really fast playing. Like, like shredder guitarists, whilst it's technically impressive, they bore me to tears. Because really, after a while, they all sound the same. And that's not, not nuanced at all. That's a very Neanderthal quite approach to it but to be honest it's like you're just playing fast because you can Mm. play fast where's the nuance in there and i like slower played stuff because you can fit so much more emotion Mm. in there and in a song like ruled by secrecy where it's basically the the thing is saying society is ruled by the elite you know it i know it we're not supposed to know it it doesn't officially exist but we can all see it Mm. plain as day and it's very demoralizing and here's this piano solo that's a descending piano solo you know descending into relentlessness mm. monotony or despair or you know or even the darker side of things it fits by it just being chords that are stabbed over and over again in a in a deliberate way of going of descending down along with the bass creates this emotion that is a hundred times a thousand times better and stronger than what butterflies and hurricanes does because it's just fast playing that's just going look at me but Rob Busker is so much more nuanced to it, so much more going on to it. And it doesn't even get loud until the end. Whereas Butterflies of is, you know, goes has loud bits, quiet bits, loud bits, quiet bits, great dynamic range. But Rob Busker Secrecy, I... Well, I love dynamic range and Rob Busker Secrecy has dynamic range, but it builds over time. Mm. And I love when music does that. It can repeat the choruses and the verse in the same way, but they add more to it each time. This builds to something. Very much like how Invincible moves as a piece of music how it mm. take a bow moves as a piece of music nice Sidonia. we did just the same thought mm. well me a lot of same thoughts on uh black holes where it's that same bit 
um, over and over again. The, the, the vocals in um, Not So Sidonia, where it goes into Come Ride with, Ride with Me for the Ways of History, the melody is the, the, was the guitar bit. Mm. It's just doing it's just doing it again, but it's adding it, it's taking it, but putting a different instrument over there, and it sounds completely different. Mm. But then you have to go, oh wait, no, it's that same melody. We're we're hearing no new music, mm. but we're hearing new instruments, mm. which adds to the song. And that robot by secrecy over and over just wins every time as like one one of my favorite non single songs off any album. Two, one of the a song that I desperately would love to experience live. Mm. And three, hands down, this beats nights, this beats any 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 of them. Their best album ender. I would say in the same way that Apocalypse Please is the best opener, I think Ruled is definitely their best ender. And I said, as I said, songs on this album seem to come in pairs and they're paired so well because you've got that really kind of dark build-up, mm. that huge crescendo at end, and then it ends on that... Yeah, with the arpeggio still going and the... Uh... And that shepherd tone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Love that. And it's like, and, it, and it's just, it's just leaving you hollow and empty, and it's just like perfect. And mm. it's like, oh, it's pointless. The the Illuminati already rule the mm. society. Rule society. I mean, as a bit of extra trivia, obviously the name of the song "Ruled by Secrecy" comes from the book "Ruled by Secrecy" from the uh, writer Jim Mars. Mm. Um, and maybe that's where they got the... Matt, Matt kind of drew the inspiration for the entire song, not just the name of the song as well. But, like, it, it's a song It's a song that fits with the themes that Muse cover. In this album alone, there was a lot of talk about conspiracy theories and would go later on into black holes as well. It's very of the album. It's... It, it fits neatly. I do stand by. I think it's the perfect song to end the album with, and I think it's their best album closer. I mean, at this point, we'd only had "Hate This and I'll Love You" and "Megalomania." "Hate This and I'll Love You" is a fu- is a wonderful song. I mm. love that song. "Megalomania," very good ending. Very good ending. Mm. But um, I think it, it, great song. But they they definitely have stronger songs, and I think it could have been like tightened up to kind of get to where it was going a little bit faster, a little bit more heavier. Um. Not taking away because I think it's a great song, but then um, Knights of Sidonia, everyone will go, "Oh, that's a great song." But I'm like, "Is it really a good ender?" Mm. Objectively, is a good ender, or is it actually a great opener? Is my thing because it was tossed it between that and Take a Bow, and also it was done live. Um, Exogenesis Part Three, I think, is a f- for, for as good as Exogenesis is as a piece. Mm. I don't think it's a great way to end the album. Yeah, I think that's what I was going to say is I think if you're talking individual track, then Ruled by Secrecy is their best ending. But I think if you're talking an ending to an album, then the Exogenesis Suite is their best ending. Um, yes, and yeah. this is what I mean. What, what you said earlier, to take your words, you know, technically this is the best one, but oh, I feel this. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I think I have it with I have it with that lens of for the album, Ruled by Secrecy wins every time. But then I also take look at it as a piece of music this sounds very much like a, a full stop mm. at the end of the album. That's what it sounds like to me. And I think it just wins every time because then isolated system as the, in the context of second law really, really works mm. on its own. Falls a bit flat. What was the last one? I thought that the glo- the globalist well, globalist drones. Oh God. Drones up. Oh, poor, 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 mm. poor, 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 poor. I really like it, but I know what you mean. Like, yeah. Um, 
uh, high concept kind of falls a bit flat, and then the, uh, void. the void, which is good. Now that now the void really picks up, really picks up. Mm. Yeah, and then we are fucking fucked, which is just it's great. Pretty Boom. good. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, but yeah, Rule by Secrecy has got so much more drama, theatre, theatrics, just more meat to it. It's their best one, mm. in my honest opinion. Mm. Fight me. Yeah, no, I think I'm. I think I agree with you. I think um, it's a really, really dark song, and I think it caps the album off. So that kind of well, that brings the discussion of the individual songs and the album as a whole to an end. Really, I think the uh, what kind of really there is to talk about with the album after that in consideration is let's take it on tour let's talk about the highlights of the album whilst it was on tour i think it was uh probably uh to date the most biggest the most biggest the best breakthrough they'd had really at this point in their career i think it was the most successful tour yeah at, at this uh, certainly at this point from them i mean um i'm sure that you've got some stuff that you've put in the cue sheet that's that you've put in, um, that you've put in there, that you'd want to cover in terms of like from my angle, the the range of shows and the energy from the shows that I've, I guess the ones that we've mentioned, Earl's Court, Rock and Ring, Pink Pop, real like sustained energy and really kind of shows off the songs really well, does them justice and playing around with kind of the songs that were that were in there. Like uh, Space Dimension got played at Pink Pop and it was like, oh, that was that was really really good. Mm. I know that Feeling Good was played on the Absolution tour. I've never found any footage. No, I've not seen any footage yeah. of of, think, of feeling good being played live. Only I only want to know because I want to know how they tackled the the megaphone bit for the second verse or whatever it was after oh, the first chorus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because like, like you know, live he would play play it through a megaphone. I don't know if he would have pulled a megaphone out to do in, to have in front of the microphone or that if they just put an effect on over the mic. That's I'm just doing it out of curiosity for mm. that for me. But um, as a musician, as a guitarist, as a like a someone who really likes tone i think this tour had some really interesting nice tones um like the the use of the whammy pedal harmony octave down for the thoughts of a dying atheist solo a lot of use of phases and modulation great delay some really nice cleans like at the glastonbury festival uh, you can hear him play the heartbreaker riff between uh, just before they play time is running out that's a really lovely tone right there mm. um real real uh crazy use of uh, the first factory for like plugging baby makes it does just sound like a toy mm. this this whole tour just sounded like so much fun mm. and the, the where they would just play those riffs live after sock stockholm where they play the 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 um the, the riffs around that where you jump on it jump on his amp oh it was just it was great i mean you could really tell that they were really enjoying themselves and they had the energy because they were a lot younger then mm. to just to just th- throw themselves around a stage like but I'll, this is the last point I'll make on this it was like there was a show I think it was in LA or something um, where they done Stockholm Syndrome and you could tell they were just setting up to do all the riffs and stuff and then Matt just jumps on the drum kit and trashes it and that's the start that's, that, that's it done <laughs> so he, he'd robbed Dom and Chris of playing all of the uh, the riffs that they do to have fun yeah. and then it's, it's being filmed by Tom and then Chris goes over to the camera and goes, oh, it's a shame. And it's like, <laughs> ah. And then it's just so funny. Yeah, I think, um, I think you're right. I think I would argue it probably started in about 2002, but it, it really came into it on the Absolution Tour and into 2004, is they just seem to be having fun. And the other thing is, I think they were at their peak of 
playing ability live. Yeah, they still still have that technique and the abilities that they have on display on their live stuff on the Absolution Tour, but the difference is they actually showed them on the Absolution Tour. Um, my thoughts being, I think around the Absolution Tour, or at least between 2002 and 2004, um, was the most and the most varied amount of riffs. They, were, they played more riffs, and they played more different riffs than they have done for any other tour. Um, even things like, I think on this, I, I could be wrong, and this could be Black Holes and Revelations, but I think um, he started playing Laura Palmer's theme from Twin Peaks in the Absolution Tour. Um, he definitely, There's another one that he started playing that I think is a shop or version of a Chopin etude. Um, there's another one that he plays on piano that's um, like a high tremolo... Um, octave and then he does like an arpeggio up into it i think they started playing that before sunburn um there was just loads and loads yes. of yeah loads of really creative little jams and licks and stuff that they put in another example of them playing at their peak is uh, the rock am ring muscle museum sick shred is what i've written which is after the like first bit of the first verse he just goes fucking nuts and goes which is fucking awesome. Um, I think there's a lot of that real technical proficiency. Um, this. Also, was this tour the first time they went to Australia with Big Day Out? No, that's a lie, because I'm pretty sure there's that video of them playing showbiz in Australia where he, they throw the equipment into the sea. I'm pretty sure that's the Australia. Gretsch, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's the first time they did Big Day Out. Yeah, Big Day Out. Oh, of course, the biggest thing, on this tour, I know it's, it didn't originate on this tour, but this is where the 03050 riff started to really come into its own, otherwise known as the Psycho riff. Yeah, I mean, because it goes back earlier than that. It goes back to at least 99, but mm-hmm. like it was like prolifically played in Absolution Tour. Like, yeah, like here it is. If you uh, listen to the, um, if you listen to the Big Day Out version of, of that after Stockholm, Stockholm was the opening song, they mm. do all that. Usually we just get the riff, and it's if it's it's um uh oh three oh five oh three oh five oh three oh five oh and then it goes up to six, right? Mm. So There's like a split second. You can actually hear the next stage of of the psycho riff. The the dun 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 dun. That 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 build up, but that, that it just that in that split second, you hear them do that. And that wasn't part of the riff ever. It just seems like it was just an improvisation at that point. Whoa. And that then they would just go back and remember that bit years later. You know, it, but it, they've done that sort of thing for ages. There's um, footage of Matt playing the We Are Fucking Fucked riff in 2006. Oh, you'll have to send me that. I've not seen that. It's like, yeah, but they hold on to riffs for ages, mm. and, 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 uh, which is just stunning to think of. And, but yeah, it... You're absolutely right. They're sounding like they're having so much fun. That's when the riff is really prof- being perfectly played. Great to put it on the end of Stockholm Syndrome and it's really kind of got them. I think it's that sort of stuff that got the best live act in that era. Mm. Just having fun with it, playing those riffs, playing get, playing those shows to give it each show seemingly its own kind of like identity of like, yo, this was done here. Mm. Mm. And may have turned it a bit formulaic as they went on because, you know, where do you go from there? It's a bit difficult to quantify. I, it was just, I think it was just one of their 
I think from looking at it on paper, I think one of the best tours that they've ever done because they just had so much fun with it. Mm. And that's even to say on the level of interaction that they had with the US because the US leg of the tour didn't really kick in until 2005 and they were only playing small clubs mm. and they'd come off of the bat of playing festivals and massive arenas like, yeah. in Glastonbury in, in Europe. And then it's like... It's so weird to go to like, you know, thousands and thousands of people to a 400 capacity clubs. It's like, whoa, this is bizarre. Mm. I get it. Yeah, I bet I could imagine the energy being absolutely insane at those shows. Like, Mm. because they know they're like, they know how to do a fucking like theater and arena and a festival. And now they're in a venue that's like 400 capacity, if that. They're like, fuck it, let's go, man. Let's have some fun kind of thing. Like, yep. Let's make Harry cry by throwing a guitar in a bin. Oh, what a weird, <laughs> weird bit of footage that is. I tried to look for that the other day. I couldn't find it. You know, I got the Absolution DVD. Oh, is it on the Absolution DVD? Oh, I'll have to, I'll have to do a bit of deep yeah, dive there. Yeah, yeah, do it. If at your own risk, I will never, ever watch that. <laughs> um, only last thing I can say about the live shows and tours for this um for Absolution, etc., is it was Morgan's debut because Chris broke his wrist. Yeah, and uh, Morgan played bass. Yeah, it was. Yeah, what was it? V V Fest. It was. It was in the UK. Uh, yes, V Fest is correct. Yeah. Mm. Uh, at that point, Morgan was more known for he played in the live band for Gorillas mm. and the Streets. Yes, he was in the Streets, which probably is why they did the song with the Streets, which is an incredible riff. That they should maybe maybe do with the streets at some point. That'd be quite cool to see live. That'd be yeah, good to see. Like um, Britain's answer to Rage Against the Machine. But then <sighs> again, that riff is just the heartbreaker riff. Yeah, it is very. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> that Bellamy, not a stranger to stealing riffs, but it's mm. okay. Because what's his name? Jimmy Page probably nicked it from a blues musician anyway. Um... <laughs> well, yeah. No, 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 come on. He's white and British. He appropriated. Oh, yes, of course. That is the correct term. The colonial, colonial. <laughs> colonial, 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 yeah. colonial, colonial. But yes, thank you for joining me as always, Matt. I, I, I love just talking about it. I love that it just turns into just us chatting about this. Yeah, it's great. It was good fun. Um... Sometimes you can have a, a really overproduced podcast, but maybe just turning it into just two, two it's just turning into Dudes being dudes. Dudes being guys and guys being bros. Um, Broskies. Uh, before we disappear, uh, thank you to Kimiko for joining us and providing us with our translation for this Japanese edition of our podcast. Oh, you're too kind, Kimiko. Yeah, before we go, Matt, where, where can people find you? And is there anything you'd like to plug or tease that you're working on? Uh, you can find me at Jazzboy Fuck Ike on TM. I'm teasing um, a little bit of. Uh, um, so you guys can figure that one out. Um, <laughs> I quite like that you, you, you initially asked, why can people find you? And I was like, oh, that's a deep question, isn't it? Why? Why could people? Did I say why? It? Yeah, you started with why, but then you said where, and I was like, oh, why is an interesting version of oh, that question? Oh, I think it's just because I'm so tired. Yeah. So, Harry, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, they can find me at Harry Chris Robin on YouTube and Instagram. Uh, things I've been working on at the moment. Uh, the thing I forgot to actually mention at the top of this podcast: my entire review of the Manson MBM2. Ah, oh. forgot to mention that it's out now at this point, point. Um, and it is a trash guitar. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's so bad. If you open it up, you can see that it's made of really cheap parts, um, which I don't think justifies the £600 price tag, if you ask me. Uh, the people at Manson are wonderful people, um, but I, I don't quite understand the justification for the price tag on this outside of they're paying two companies and they're paying for a license on a shape that is very protected and because they can. The guitar doesn't sound good. Go and watch the video, even though you know my thoughts on it. I put a lot of effort into putting it together. I think it's the best green screening I've ever done. And that's yeah, saying uh, yeah. that's 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 not saying something actually because the stuff I've done previously was is trash. But I really enjoyed putting that video together. I mean, yes, it's not a very good guitar, but I enjoyed playing it and having that ability to actually one put my money where my mouth is because I bought the guitar. Mm. Um, and actually, like, p- take the time to play it and understand it, and then criticize it. Um, but I'm very happy uh, that I bought it because I sent it back to Manson. <laughs> and hopefully, I get my money back. That's mad. Um, yeah, I was like, I, I emailed them, said I don't want this. Can I have a refund, please? <laughs> um, and they were absolutely wonderful. About yeah, it. They, they are. They are really good. There's absolutely no hard feelings about it. They've been the previous podcast episode that we put out was our Manson guitars worth it, and I still stand by that they are. Yeah, definitely. I just don't. I just don't think that that guitar is very good. It's not doing them a good. I think it doesn't show them very well. So yeah, go and watch that video. I'm Harry Christopher on, on YouTube and Instagram. Again, I just talk for eight hours and hours because I love the sound of my own voice, despite going on for over three and a half hours. Yeah. So uh, until next time, which the next episode, who knows what the next episode is going to be. We'll get there. But on the next episode, Matt, you will join me again. We will talk about something interesting that we like and hopefully have a wonderful time and the audience will like it too. Hell yeah. So I've been Harry. I've been Jazz Boy. And thanks for listening. See you later, guys. Bye. Bye, Dad. <laughs>